Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse episode 326. I am Peter and shockingly, not here is Matt, but for the first time in like two months, Connor has graced us with his appearance. It's closer to three months if I'm being perfectly honest. Uh, I can't remember. I was just, I was just ballpark. It's, yeah, it, it's, it's been crazy. My, my schedule has not given me a Friday or Saturday off in months. Barring one, and I spent that, got, you know, with, with some health problems. Uh, in the hospital. Fun. Yeah, I was, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So you got a cat now, though. So that's, that's, that's plus news. I do. She's down here. Mm, she was very energetic like 10 minutes ago and causing trouble. But she seems to be going to sleep now. So I oh, might good. be getting away with it. Oh, oh, good. Oh, good. This is a DC Comics podcast. We get together every week. We talk about DC Comics. We read. Uh, coming up on this week's show, we have kind of a weird lopsided uh, itinerary <laughs> because Connor's got a bunch of Patreon books to catch up on um, and hasn't necessarily read a lot of the newer books, but here's what's on the schedule for today. Um, I will be talking about Dark Crisis issue 5 as well as Dark Crisis the Deadly Green issue 1. We'll both be talking about Batman issue 128. I checked out Gotham City year 1 issue 1. We both checked out Joker the Man Who Stopped Laughing issue 1. Carl will be looking at Tim Drake Robin issue one, which is a Patreon book, but it's also a book just from last week, so it's still kind of a new one. Uh, also, he'll be looking at Harley Quinn issue 16 as a Patreon book, I'll have Animal Man 24 as a Patreon book, and then finally Connor will wrap up with Noctera issue 10, uh, also a Patreon book. So, uh, weird episode, but uh, bear with us. Uh, it's Matt's birthday uh, this weekend, which is why he's uh, not available to record. So, uh, But on the upside... Yeah, Connor instead. Um, you will see Matt quite soon, though, because um, as I mentioned on last week's episode, I am going to be away for a week, and as a result, uh, there'll be no regular episode next week, but you will get a Q&A episode with myself and Matt. Uh, we're recording that on Monday, and um, we've already had some questions in on Twitter. Uh, you can send in or reply to the tweet uh, on at DC Comics Podcast, which you can find us on there on Twitter and ask us some questions on there, or you can send them to mftvquestions at gmail.com. Um, by the time this goes out, you'll only have maybe a day or two at most if you're a patron, but uh, try and get the questions in, and me and Matt will just have a sort of chill episode chatting about various comics bollocks uh, over the course. Uh, and then we'll be back the following week with a regular episode, maybe with a few of next week's books sprinkled in if there are some big ones, and just go from there, so... Uh, that is the the plan. So yeah, make sure you get your questions in for the Q and A episode, uh, which is recording on Monday. But that is the plan uh, for the next couple of weeks. So apologies for any disruption, but we'll get into things. Um, we do have one bit of hefty news, actually. So we'll yeah, get to I, that. I saw the headline. I didn't actually read the thing yet. We'll get to that soon. But Connor, oh, I forgot about this shit. There's always time for a Comixology Top 10. And in tradition, I will say, is it Batman? Is it X-Men? Well, what's so beautiful about this is that you've not been here for so long that you've not even been here for the new split list that is now the norm. Sorry, what? Well, this is not my fault. This is uh, this is Comixology and Amazon's doing. Uh, now they separate uh, Tuesday and Wednesday releases and there's no way to mix them. So, <laughs> we'll be looking at the Tuesday Top 10, and it's still Top 10 as of right now, but it's just the books that were released on Tuesday, right? So we'll mm -hmm. look at the Top 10 DC books right now, and then we'll have a quick look at what the rest of the industry's 
uh, got going on in the Wednesday no, I have top to sit 10. through 20 books? Yes, yes you do. Oh, god damn it. So, just look at the DC books. What do you think the number one comicsology DC selling book is right now? Despite there being two number ones, I still think it's Batman. <laughs> it's not. Oh, okay. Is it? Is it the uh, the Tom King one? It's not. Is it the Joker one? It's not. What the hell did they have this week? Is it a Dark Crisis? Dark Crisis. Shoot four. Yeah, not... but and while I understand that, hey, events sell. Issue four, like you know, the middle of the event, I expected to sell less than two number ones, and still maybe Batman uh, at the start, uh, relatively at the start of a run. I mean, it's, it's just doing well, I guess. I mean, I don't, I don't, ooh, it is. It just surprised me. <laughs> yeah, Dark Crisis uh, on Infinite Earths issue four is the number one DC book right now on Comicsology. Uh, we're recording this on Friday, by the way, just in case, because normally it's Saturday. Just in case there's some disreferences, if you used to, if you're usually checking them to see if we're accurate because <laughs> obviously these will shift a little bit uh, as the week goes on uh number two is batman issue 128 number three is dark crisis the deadly green one shot mm, surprised to see that outselling the two mm, new books oh. uh number four is gotham city year one issue one number five is the joker the man who stopped laughing issue one uh, number six is Black Adam, the Justice Society Fails, Doctor Fate issue one. Uh, number six, sorry, yeah, number seven, sorry, is Poison Ivy issue five. Number eight is Multiverse eighteen Justice. Number nine is Sword of Azrael issue three, and number ten is Mad Magazine issue twenty eight, which only tells me that that's them run out of books. Except well, there's probably only nine books. Yeah. Well, that's actually not true. Sadly, uh, Monkey Prince came in lower than that. So, People do not care about that book. Apparently not. At least not on Comicsology UK, it seems. Uh, well, this is US Comicsology. Oh, this is US? Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, I, I, am, I am noticing here, though, there's a Batman Long Halloween Haunting Night Deluxe that's uh, out now, which is going for $30 on Comicsology. Um, Why? But... I, I, I get the appeal of buying deluxe editions. I tend to prefer them in my physical copies. I don't buy... Yeah. I don't buy paperbacks anymore. I, t- I exclusively buy hardcovers, especially deluxes or omnis. Um, but who's buying it digitally? It, unless it, it's like on a really good sale. Like sometimes you get them on yeah. like a great sale. But Unless it's like combining two books together, but this looks like it's just the, the same three issues. It's got a new cover, and it's got a really awkward title. It's Batman The Long Halloween, the prequel, Haunted Night, which is just to make it obvious that it's connected in some way. But Yeah, that's... Digitally, I don't think it really offers much. Uh, I think, well, I have some digital things to look like the uh, the Lemire and Sorrentino Green Arrow Deluxe. I picked up it dirt cheap in a sale at one point. And it's like, because well, yeah, that's like but, three trades worth. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but alternatively, yeah, you're buying three different trades, whereas with this, it's just the exact same trade repackaged. Now, I've not checked, but like, if they're really sneaky, they might have delisted the old one. They don't usually. They don't usually, and, and, admittedly. I yeah. mean, well, okay, let me rephrase. They didn't used to when it was Comixology. I don't know, now that everything's on Amazon, if they changed that. Uh, yeah, I don't there, know There either. might be a few little extras in there for it being a deluxe, you know, like some behind yeah, the scenes. Some, some backup stuff. material things, yeah. yeah. Uh, once in a blue moon, they may be recolored or something, so there's actually a difference to the art, but... That's usually with the older, like, yeah. the older releases stuff, though. 
So, yeah, that's pretty much uh, that then for the DC Top 10. Uh, looking on Wednesday to see what's happening in the rest of the the industry here, Top 10-wise. Uh, and also, uh, people may be wondering, last week I said I was going to do the uh, Nate of the Ghoul Dark Horse book, the Scott Snyder and uh, Frankie Villa book. Um, the reason why I haven't, actually, is because it wasn't until I went to actually look at it today that I discovered that it's actually just coming out in physical now. It, it was actually already completely released digitally, like, last year. Uh, this was, like, a Comixology original, like, exclusive yeah, thing Yeah, I just assumed it was a new one, because I, I, I knew the no, book that you were talking about. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, so that surprised me. So there still will be the odd sprinkling of non-DC books coming, but uh, uh, I'm preparing for a trip this week, so any, any reason to, to lighten the load a little bit was uh, taken yeah. happily. So... Uh, but that's why it's not here, just in case everyone's wondering, um, on, on the docket this week. Uh, but, uh, what we do have in this Comicsology Top 10 for, well, I was going to say for Marvel, for Wednesday. <laughs> Mostly Marvel, as you may imagine. Uh, any guesses as to number one for the rest of the industry? Uh, I honestly have no idea what has been coming out in the last few months. Um, but X-Men? Uh, technically, yeah. Axe X-Men issue one. So Axe has been the thing that they've had a lot of in the last That's couple months. the events. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, I mean, it's your boy Q and Gillen writing this. So he's been writing a lot it, of this stuff. So. Yeah, I, I'm still planning on catching up and getting there at some point. But, uh, yeah, time. But mm. I, yeah, I, I've not read, like, any comics in, like, months. It's, it's bad. Uh, number two is X-Men Red, issue seven. Number three is Spider-Man issue one, and this is by Dan Slott and Mark Bakley. So you've got the ultimate Spider-Man artist with uh, Slott, who who's previously written about three hundred issues of Spider-Man. He has already by far written more Spider-Man than any other writer. Yeah, I was exaggerating a little bit, but I don't think I'm actually that far off, which is the scary part. Yeah, because uh, he he was one of the rotating four writers when it was weekly for like a year or something like that, and then he yep. was on the book for like I don't know three years, four years maybe. Yeah. I think it was longer than that, wasn't it? Because he had he had his main run, and then he had his superior run, and then he had the post superior stuff. Yeah, and then back to the with the spider across the Spider Verse and all that shit. Yeah, I think it was probably closer to six or seven years. Yeah, which wasn't like his stuff. Like, I guess a lot of flack for not being amazing, and it's not amazing, but it's it's perfectly readable. It's like a perfectly fine. You know, it... I dipped in and out and tried bits and pieces. It never like grabbed me to stick with it, but. Honestly, no Spider-Man book ever has. I think if you wanted to just binge read, binge read some Spider-Man, it's probably perfectly fine for that. It's just that it was so long and it wasn't anything special that people were just gasping out for <laughs> new new voices on Spider-Man. Uh, yeah. But, you know, that, that's obviously not him taking over Amazing. This is a separate book, so well, whatever. Yes. Uh, number four, uh, we're going elsewhere here with Miracle Man, which is a Neil Gaiman and Jason Aaron. That's still Marvel. Is that still Marvel? Yeah, they acquired Miracle Man after it, like it was a lot of rights issues because obviously the the Alan Moore stuff. Oh. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's Marvel publishing. Oh yeah, I could see the Marvel go down the corner that I'm looking for. Do you know what's annoying is that Marvel don't have like a standard dress on their covers anymore, so they're not always obvious. Yeah. Um, number five is Axe Star Fox issue one. Also, Kieran Gillen writing that. Uh, number six is the Dead Lucky issue three. Uh, so I think we're finally out of a Marvel book. Yes, looks like a, yeah, I don't know what that is. An indie book here. Uh, so this is from Melissa Flores and artist French Carlo Mango? Or Magano? 
Uh, yeah, that was an image book. That's your three. Okay. So, yeah. Maybe it must have some buzz if it's, if it's cracking this top ten as high as this. Oh, must do, yeah. I just have never, never heard of it. Uh, number seven is Marauders, issue seven. Uh, more X books. Steve Orlando's on that just now. Uh, yeah, which sucks because that's the Kitty Pride book. That's uh, a shame. Uh, that Texas Blood, issue 18, is number eight. That's Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips. Uh, I have been meaning to check that out for a while. It looks really good. Yeah, also Image. Uh, also Image, uh, Junkyard Joe, issue one, by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, very, very odd, very odd. Uh, yeah, you weren't even here for the announcement of two new Jeff Johns books recently. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I was not thrilled. Um, obviously, I love JSA. I love John's JSA. I don't want more of it. I, I want a new crack at someone doing a JSA book, really. I don't know. Maybe 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 that's a, a particularly negative take, but I, I want new writers as well. You know, on on properties, it's the same thing with the Dan Slot on Spider Man, right? Like, who's there's so much Dan Slot Spider Man out there? Who's who's asking for more? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I'm excited to read it, and I'm 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 hopeful it'll be good. And you know, John's hasn't been on a good ongoing book in quite some time because he's not really had any ongoing books in quite a long time, so. I mean, honestly, the only thing that he's written that's been worth reading in quite a while is, in my opinion, has been Doomsday Clock. I don't think he's written anything else that's worth bothering with. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, since Rebirth. Or, I mean, I'd include the Rebirth one-shot is worth reading as well, but, you know. Yeah, but I mean, even, like, there's a good amount of his new 52 stuff, which is just, like, yeah, it's fine. Uh, it's not as good, no. There's, there's parts of his Justice League run that are, are quite good. There's a little bit of his Aquaman that's quite good, but... None of it's as good as his pre-New 52 runs. Yeah, yeah no. I don't think I, that's not even like an unpopular opinion, I don't think. That's, people no, I, to... I don't think it is either. Like, uh, I think it's just like, for a long time, it, he's been extremely busy doing other things, and I think that has mostly kind of shown in the quality of his comics work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder if a lot of that's drying up. I, know, I think I mean, Stargirl's got season three coming, but I wonder if a lot of the other things have dried up, uh, so now he's got more time for comics again. Maybe. Yeah, very possible. Uh, number ten on the non DC list is uh, Time Before Time issue seventeen. Another image book. So Image has got Image thirtieth anniversary plastered all over its covers here. So uh, I wonder if they're making a big push, and that's why they're doing quite well in this top ten. You know, compare because they're you know, they're outselling this week anyway. Right now, uh, Hulk issue nine's number eleven. Captain America Sentinel of Liberty's number twelve. Uh, the last issue, the Ant Man mini by Al Ewing's number thirteen. So yeah, there's like some reasonable sized Marvel books that are. You know, getting booted out yeah. in the top ten for some of these. So, that's yeah, oh, interesting stuff. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, so very good. Um, but there you go. That's the that's the top ten. Um, so yeah. As, as far as like non DC books that are worth reading, by all means, keep us informed if there's uh juicy looking ones. I won't promise we'll do any of them, but uh, yeah. Let us know them yeah. existing. That was good. So. Uh, very cool. Alright, so the bit of news that we have this week. Uh, so New York Comic Con's kind of g- going on right now, uh, and they had like one big announcement so far, but there'll probably be more over the weekend. I don't know if they'll be big, 
I feel like almost as big as this. Yeah, almost every year uh, for these Comic Cons, I feel like we expect like a slate of announcements, and it's only ever when they've actually got like a new wave coming of something that they've got a big line of titles to talk about. Yeah, honestly, this is probably the biggest announcement we've had at one of the major cons in quite a while. Yeah, because I'm trying to remember when they did all the Future State, which was leading into all this new era of, of books, uh, Infinite yeah. Frontier. Like, that that wasn't even one of the bigger cons, it was just what everyone happened to be that time of year. <laughs> yeah, we got most of that. Was that not in the, uh, what was the DC event? Fandom? Fandom, yeah. Did we not get a lot of that around that time? I can't remember. I really can't. Uh, but I'm pretty confident in saying it wasn't San Diego or New York Comic Con. Like, I'm pretty confident in saying it wasn't either of those. Yeah, I don't think it was either. And even Rebirth back in the day, that was like... WonderCon, I want to say? It was WonderCon, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, they just kind of... And to be fair, they are saying that this, 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 you know, the end of Dark Crisis and get into this new phase. This is like a, a you know, a, a reset. This is going to be a new phase of DC, the new era of DC. They got a new name for it, don't they? Uh, they do. I'm just going to read through some of this news or article and we can get some of the details as we go here. So, uh, during the Exploring Universe panel at Comic-Con, uh, DC announced its first 2023 event called Lazarus Planet. Um, so, they teased this in September. Um, yeah, so, they put out an image showing some of the characters are going to be involved in this and there's some weird things here, like John Kent's got like an electric blue Superman <laughs> outfit. Uh, Batman's got a Doctor Fate helmet on. <laughs> Cyborg's there. The Cyborg's there. Uh, so, yeah, heroes transform, secrets revealed, powers unleashed. Um, is the text that DC had along with this image they put out. Uh, so we also have the Demon Neza holding uh, Monkey Prince. So yeah, the Devil uh, Neza is uh, really you know becoming more of a a staple right now at DC. Yeah, you know, from just yeah. like the mini with Mark Wade to being in this, you know, being brought up in some of the other books, and now more plans it's, coming. Yeah, like, I was really not hot on the Nezia stuff in, uh, it was in Batman Superman, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was not like too hot on that, so that's a little, not not super compelling for me as a start to this event. Was yeah. the the weakest element of that book for me, and then oh, that's the the linchpin for this. That's um okay. Well, we'll I mean, let's see here. Uh, Billy Batson is also going to be released from the Rock of Eternity, where he's trapped just now ever since that Titans Academy crossover thing they hammed, uh, which none of us actually read because it wasn't very good. But the, the only reason I know that he was trapped is because of the, the new Mary Marvel. Yeah, system. yeah, the, which is very good. First it, it is. Actually. I, I, I was trying to catch up on some stuff, and and I did get the first issue or two of that read. Yeah. Uh, so Wade's going to be the architect for Lazarus Planet according to this article uh, he'll be teaming up with Ricardo Federici that's not a bad name Jean Lun Yang uh-huh. makes sense with Monkey Prince involved Billy Tan uh, Nicole Maines Skylar Partridge and Francis Manipal Philip K. D. Johnson Josie Campbell Dan Waters and more uh, creative teams for the event will be announced alongside solicit text and covers and the uh, solicitations that are coming up later this month so we should have more details and sort of nitty gritty parts of this uh, what we do know right now, according to this article, uh, is that Lazarus Planet will see DC, DC superheroes and supervillains transform for the event and everything spins out of the Lazarus volcano exploding in Batman vs. Robin issue 4 in December. Uh, it'll spew transformative chemicals into the atmosphere, creating chaos all over the DC universe as Earth Zero slash Prime citizens begin to develop strange new abilities or see their current abilities altered. 
Uh, sounds like a bit of a... Let's just go crazy with everyone's, like, shit <laughs> and do it crazy does stuff. a little bit, yeah. Also, it makes that Batman vs. Robin book feel really weird to me in that, like, hey, hey, don't don't worry about it. Issue four, that's just going to set us up into the event. That's all you need to know. But, like, it's already given us that. It, like, kind of makes it feel a little bit inconsequential in its own right. Have you read issue one of it yet? Uh, no. I didn't get to it yet. Well, I don't think you'll feel that way when you read it. Okay. We may not like it, but uh, I mean, I, I mean, me and Matt both liked it. We 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 both kind of love kind of the crazy thing it started doing and uh, big character deals. But I will say this: like nothing about that first issue felt like this is leading to setting up the event <laughs> or some random Fair. event. You know that like, this is coming as kind of a surprise that that book's going to be the the, the launching pad for it. All in the fact that Neza in some ways going to be involved, but uh. Like, there's one main talking point coming out of issue one of that book, and it has nothing to do with events or Neza or building to stuff. You know, it's all it's all a very specific character thing. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, we'll see we'll see how it progresses as, as issue two, three, and so on. But um, yeah, obviously, all the listeners know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, so yeah, some uh, wacky things here. So we, oh, we've got some bullet points. What's this say? Uh, an announcement of a company and Explore Universe panel that presents the following questions. Can Power Girl free herself from the out-of-control omen? Who are the mysterious trio claiming to be resurrected uh, siblings of Raven? Will Dreamer's visions guide her or heroes to the path of victory? Can Mercy Grave survive the transformation she's undergone? There's actually a bunch more of these. Um, I think what I'm getting from this is that, yeah, it's kind of an event, but it doesn't sound like it's the big, like, this is not, like, the next Dark Crisis. This feels like a smaller, just fun, yeah, wacky event to me. Yeah, kind of weird. Not, in, not necessarily in an inherently bad way, just strange, right? Yeah. There's a lot of, like, strange, random things going uh, on Questions here. in there, Firestorm, a bunch of, a bunch of interesting characters that haven't all necessarily been used that much recently. Yeah, Monkey Prince. I, I'm, some of these are explaining some of the creatives yeah. mentions. Obviously, Monkey Prince explains Yang. Uh, Dreamer explains Mains. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, you get Damien in there and stuff. Uh, so, DC Teasies, but why could the fate of all life as we know it be in the hands of Monkey Prince? Question mark. Um, so, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Um, I mean, I'm curious to try it and see, see what wacky things it gets up to. Yeah, I'm, I'm just looking slightly further down the arc of the release schedule. Uh, it is not a numbered no, event. No, it's, it's their name. So, it's a, it's, it's, it looks like a series of one-shots, although I'm sure it probably just reads, like, one through eight or whatever it's kind it is. kind of weird that you've got, you've got an Alpha and Omega book, uh, book ending it. Like, it's pretty common now. But instead of being, what's that, like a one to five in the middle, it's yeah. five issues with different games entirely i will say this i do quite like that uh it's quick it's you know it's just weekly for two months and then that's over you know uh, i do think for these smaller events this works better because it is you know these can drag on if you're sort of pulling them out over the course of a whole year kind of thing yeah uh, oh they mentioned that, uh as a thing down here the the next phase of the thing is called the dawn of the dcu that's what which, it, yeah, i heard that yeah it's a strange name at least seems to me to me but i don't know yeah, I mean, I I am glad to see Mark Wade getting even more uh, his fingers and even more pies. Like, I mean, Batman v Robin is way more in continuity than World's Finest is. You know, it's directly tying into a lot of big things that have happened recently. Okay, uh, so that's kind of cool. 
Uh, so yeah, it starts on the 10th of January and runs weekly through the 21st of February. Uh, assuming it all stays on schedule, of course, and there's no uh, delays. But I would, given that it seems to be a lot of different teams, I would imagine it's yeah. probably Wade handling the Alpha and Omega, and then a different team on each of the one shots. And they're probably all going to focus a bit more on one specific character. And... That yeah, that's my guess. Um, so I'm assuming that'll probably mean it'll you know be okay schedule wise because they're they're you know they're all going to be running fairly independently and should hit mostly on time it'll i imagine it's probably only the same artist on the alpha and omega as well and maybe not even that let's be honest yeah we'll see we'll see uh but yeah i wouldn't say i'm like super excited about this like it's kind of like this weird little like wacky event to do some crazy stuff with to use some characters that don't get used as much uh, so I'm not on like epic hype levels necessarily, and the fact that it's going to be all these teams rotating, like I'd be much more excited for this if it was like, oh, Mark Wade's writing the whole thing. I'm not even, and I'm not just even him specifically, just any writer I like, like writing the whole thing would be more exciting to me than oh, we're doing this thing where all these different writers are going to take an issue each and stuff. I'm inherently less interested in that in general because I want a more focused thing that feels like one, you know, idea. But um, it feels more like here's a. Here's a thematic scene that we're setting, and then here's a bunch of writers. Yeah, it's, it's almost like what would normally be tie-ins. Each of those seems to be just this is the event. Yeah, so it's inherently less exciting. I'm sh- I'm hoping it will be at least a, a nice little fun thing to talk about and read for a couple of months, and you know, space up those first couple of typically drier comic book months, and then you know, then they can start teasing whatever their big summer thing is, what they usually do. Mm-hmm. So. There you go. That was the that was the big uh, the big news of the week was uh, this new event coming in January and February. So that's Lazarus Planet. So very good. Uh, all right. So that's about it for news. Um, anything interesting you'd like to share with the audience after your long absence? Uh, I'm tired. <laughs> Riveting uh, stuff. I'm sure they're yeah. all thrilled to have you back. I'm just trying to think if I have read anything else that wasn't really... You know, I've, I've been catching up on the DC books, so I've not been reading enough of those to really comment on them. Uh, I, I've enjoyed what I was catching up on. Uh, the first couple issues of... Uh, no, I read the, the collection of uh, the Azrael stuff from Urban Legends, and then oh, okay. the first issue... Uh, so far, I'm actually really enjoying that quite a lot more than I thought I was going to. Uh, been enjoying Poison Ivy, the first couple issues of that. I think I read the first three. Uh, yeah, no, that's a, that's a really fun series. I see now that that's kind of uh, pseudo-ongoing. Um, yeah, the I don't fact- know if you spoke about that. Yeah, no, we did. We noticed that in uh, Idle Solicits, or maybe when that issue came out, that it, it kind of changed the, the phrasing on it to... Yeah, I know um, I'm completely blank on who writes it now. But I saw uh, them Wilson. tweeting... Yeah, I saw them tweeting the other day saying, yeah, at the minute it's 12 issues up from 6, but basically as long as sales are good, they they can kind of just keep extending it indefinitely. Which it, is... It's starting to feel like anything that's not Batman or Superman or Justice League is probably under that kind of deal to, to an extent now. It, it is a little bit, yeah. Um... Yeah. Because, you know, I saw people on Twitter this week talking about uh, how DC Comics 
only have like four or five ongoings that aren't Batman uh, related in some way. It's like Superman, Son of kal Wonder Woman, okay. Flash. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of what other ones are, but uh, you know, it was it was a, only a handful of books, and every other one was either you know you know Nightwing's obviously a bat character, so on so on, uh, and then everything else was minis and stuff. And that's not necessarily a big deal as long as you always have a nice roster of the minis and things like that. But uh, it, it does sound quite damning when you when you stop and think about it. And yeah, I think like. When you put it like that, it sounds bad. But if you just look at their overall slate, obviously there, there is a lot of bat books. There's no denying that. But I do think there's quite a lot of varieties there as well. You've got a couple of different Aquaman things going on right now. You've got you know, the Shazam book. You've got... The, the, like, the Asriel book technically is connected, but also it's so unrelated to anything Gotham that it, it kind of feels completely separate right now. Yeah, um... You got uh, things like Jurassic League and the DC Max. I mean, I, yeah, I'm not reading as many books right now as I have done in the past on the show, but like, I would say that the concentration of stuff I really like is quite good. Like, uh, you know, between these like sort of prestigious Tom King minis and between things like the Shazam mini and DC uh, Vampires, yeah, Nasus in the Lake, Deceit. Like, there's just there's a lot of good things. Like last week especially, like I was, like I had like four books that i was given like an 8.5 or higher to like i, I was in a that's a good, that's a good week yeah uh, delightful mid last week i have to say so yeah it's uh, you know it's uh i i think uh you just have to sort of look at it uh, and you know a, a different lens sometimes but that said though would i like an ongoing uh green lantern book that i want to read uh, an ongoing green arrow an ongoing you know fill in your character name. Yeah, a lot of them I would like. It does not capacity. have to be green. Does not. That, that was just the first two that came to mind. <laughs> green Hornet. Green Ranger. There's definitely an ongoing Green Ranger book, let's be honest. <laughs> there's definitely there's like two ongoing Power Rangers books. I don't know if there's like a Green Ranger ongoing book. but If there was any Ranger that could sell an ongoing. That's true. He's definitely the most would... popular one. There's no denying yeah. that. I don't know that at all. Yeah. Um, and with good reason. Oh, sure. Yeah, um, yeah there's, there's definitely a lot of good books right now, even if I'm not up to date on all of them. But there are a lot of things that are super interesting, even if even if the, the ongoings are mostly Batman. Yeah. Um, but hey, I don't know. Okay, I feel like it's easy to sort of focus on some of those details and get feeling uh, down but i'm actually quite happy with uh the quality of uh what i'm reading right now so yeah uh, well it's all good it's all good uh but without further ado i think we'll dive into this week's comics uh so start off with the the dark crisis books i'm going to start with dark crisis issue five uh written by joshua williamson and art by daniel st pierre now technically deadly green takes place arguably before this one uh but two things i didn't know that before i read them so i read dark crisis 5 first and was annoyed that an editor's note halfway through the book said hey find out what happened here over in this other issue on sale now um but two it's definitely a side book and dark crisis is the main book so it feels weird to start with a side book so we're going to start with dark crisis issue 5 that makes sense my logic my logic is unwavering anyway so um 
I, I am intrigued to hear what's going on in this because I've not read it since issue. Oh, you have no idea, do you? No, because I, I wasn't really enjoying it. And then, then I, I didn't really really read anything. I was like, I've got a lot of it to catch up on. You know, and I'm like, I, I just don't want to. But also now I'm like, how batshit insane is this going to sound to me jumping back in essentially to hearing what issue 5's up to? Well, uh, gather round for a tale uh, of the Great Darkness and how it has infected uh, Deathstroke, all of his lackeys, and the end of last issue was basically him coming and infecting all of the Legion of Doom uh, with only Black Adam on his own fighting against everyone. Uh, luckily for him, though, at the start of the issue, the uh, yeah, a few characters show up to like teleport him out, uh, led by Sideways, who can teleport. Obviously, uh, nice to see him popping Wait, up. They around. remembered Sideways existed. Yeah, they remembered Sideways existed. Um, I feel like this is one of those things where anyone who you know doesn't read as much DC is like, who the hell is Sideways? They'll, yeah, they'll be like, who is this guy? They don't even name him. He's just, just he's there. He says, "Holy crap!" And I know he's the one opening the portal because I know that's his power. But, like, I feel like... Otherwise, it's just like, what's going on here? Yeah, who's this? Uh, so, yeah, Tim, Supergirl, uh, Aqualad, and Mr. Terrific. Well, I guess it's Aquaman now, sorry. Uh, he's been promoted. Uh, but they get Black Adam uh, back to the Hall of Justice, um, where Nightwing's waiting with the others and so on and so on. Uh, but Nightwing's like, yeah, we have to take the fight to him. We get the big, typical crisis page of Pariah looking at all of his infinite Earths all in a row. You know, usual shit. Because uh, he's rebirthing the multiverse. Yada, yada, yada. But the big things here is that he's got all of these Justice League members in their own little world, and that's helping him fuel his new multiverse. Uh, but Barry and Hal have been traveling between the worlds and are trying to wake up the other Justice Leaguers, uh, which is kind of where we pick up here with them arriving on what the book is calling Earth Batman, uh, which I made me chuckle because I thought, oh, Matt, I love that. <laughs> Earth Batman. That's Matt's favourite. Yeah. So they're they're fighting Bruce and they're trying to like snap him out of it and hey Bruce, it's us and you, this is not real, like remember who you are, kind of thing. Uh and Bruce is fighting Barry. Uh Hal realizes that he does have his ring. He thought he didn't, but it was just kind of covered again by the, the fakeness of all this. Uh, he can feel it, he can sense it through his willpower. So the, the what he's wearing fades away and he has the green outfit. And to wake up Bruce, he shows him the Bat family with, you know, a construct. And, like, here's, you know, here's Dick, Bab, Steph, Cass, Tim, so on, so on. Uh, and that, that wakes him up. And he's like, okay, well, we have to do this. We have to do something. Um, and, you know, the heroes on Earth will try to gather everyone we can. Gar wakes up. He's missing an eye now. He's got an eye patch. He's looking pretty tough. Uh, more and more like Deathstroke. Yeah. The JSA are, are going off to try and handle the multiverse side of things. Wells, Dick and the Titans uh, are going to stand their ground and try and fight Deathstroke and his army on Earth. Uh, that's when Superman, uh, John that is, and Swamp Thing and Raven show up. Now that, how they do this is explained in the side book. We'll get to that next. Uh, but they show up with the original uh, controller for like Pariah's controller for the original Crisis. You know, what he used to uh, set all that off. Um, so and the thing they they, say, they find out here is that the dark the, the 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 great darkness isn't corrupting everything. I mean, it's in, yeah, it's infecting people and taking over. But what's actually happening is that the pariah, and by an ex- and to an extent, by extension, uh, humans are the ones corrupting the great darkness. Uh, 
the Great Darkness is acting up because there's a bad influence in it, rather than the other. Because the Great Darkness is always going to exist. But, so that's the angle we'll look at it from now, and the Pariah's at the center of all that. Uh, so, yeah. But there's, a, there's, a, there's you know, a bunch of interesting characters. Damien goes off and grabs Dr. Light to go do something, which it... I thought it was a bit awkward being on the same page as the other editors, not, but it's like, hey, go follow what Damien is doing in this other one shot that's coming out soon. Uh, to, to his credit... There's I always a one-shot to explain things. Don't I worry know. about it. To his credit, I don't think this book's actually been that bad with, like, tons of... You know, because it's mostly just been those Justice League one-shots that they've not had to reference in the main book. This is just happens to be that the one page has two editor's notes, two other one-shots, one of which is out this week, one is out soon. Uh, so it's a bit... It feels a bit much on one page, but it's not been too bad with that overall. Hmm. Um, but yeah, Deathstroke and his army show up outside the Hall of Justice. Um and the the team go out to, to fight him um and black adam's like saying oh you're just children you're just sidekicks you were you know you're not a justice league and then dick has a sort of badass moment where he says we never were and then you get a full two-page spread of him saying we are the titans and like the big you know group shot of everyone uh, which includes obviously the, the 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 titans that you'd expect with them but also supergirl uh, also john uh some other characters who are there like blue beetle and uh, some of the speedsters and stuff like that. So it's it's kind of like you know all the legacy characters who are on Earth right now teaming up to uh, take on this army, uh, which is kind of neat. Uh, meanwhile, on the the Earths and the the fake multiverse that uh, Pariah is brewing, uh, Batman, Hal, and Barry, along now with Wonder Woman, who they've went to get because the the last scene kind of implied, oh, we need someone who can help us like snap people out of this quicker and you know wonder woman's got the lasso so <laughs> stands to reason that might actually speed the process up a little bit uh but when they get there they're actually surprised to find that clark already kind of knows he already kind of suspects that this world's a lie and he's been studying it and trying to understand it um he basically compares it to being lucid in a dream and then he kind of like makes the reality fade away on his own uh and he kind of looks like a i don't know cosmic superman it looks like he's made of stars uh, when this is all done, um, and he's like, let's go get our friends and break out of this. So the, the book started with like an image of a, you know, like the 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 Grant Morrison multiversity kind of map. Yes, that was the first panel, effectively. Uh, so here you see it kind of breaking apart, and the Justice League come out, and Pariah's like, no, 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 this isn't what I wanted. This isn't supposed to be happening. Uh, the Justice League are all together again, including some of the ones that we didn't see before, like uh, Arthur's there, uh, Ollie, Dana. And he's all he's all pissed. He's like, "You're going to be erased." Uh, this is you know, it's all building up to this cliffhanger where Pariah's saying he needed more heroes. He needs more heroes now because he's fueling this multiverse off the heroes. And then they all realize, shit, he's probably talking about Earth. He's talking about Earth Prime. So, just as he's saying that, the big ending on Earth is that the reinforcements for Deathstroke's army get there, which is all of the other ones being controlled by the Great Darkness. So, Dick and the Titans are staring down a full-page spread of Doomsday, Darkseid, Necron, uh, everyone, every, every what villain. What the hell is going on in this book? That's, I mean, that's not actually weird. This, this feels well set up. You, you've just, okay. skipped, you've just yeah, skipped. Yeah, yeah, that's jump. what I mean. But jumping in at this point, that sounds like out of nowhere, like for me. I'm like, what? that's why I'm like, what's going on? Well, I mean, right from the start of the story, like, these villains have been... I mean, even, even before the, the event itself, they were, were building up to it. Like, that dark side and these others' villains were being taken over by the darkness, uh, which was then linked to Pariah. So, this isn't out of nowhere in the in the story. 
This was... I, I wasn't saying it was, yeah. So, that's your, that's your big uh, final page, is that uh, the Titans are about to be overwhelmed on Earth with uh, every big DC villain, basically. And the Justice League are going to have to try and get back to help. So we've got two issues left, I, th- I think, of this now. So, you know, we're building up to a big fight. Um, and, you know, I've been digging this quite a bit. I think it's a, a really entertaining event. You know, I, I don't think it's particularly, you know, as important or as deep as some of the bigger ones that have maybe had more of a lasting appeal, but um, I'm having a good time. I like how the legacy characters are still feeling elevated. Um, I, I actually kind of appreciate, like, Dick turning around saying, you know, no, we're not just Justice League, we're the goddamn Titans. We're still the Titans. It doesn't matter if we're the ones that are now running the show, we're still Titans. Um, we don't have to take that name for, you know, to for it to mean something. I kind of appreciate that. Uh, St. Pierre's art is has been pretty consistent. Uh, it really pays off, especially in the big spreads. You know, whenever you get the big group shot, it looks really good, really detailed. Um, I appreciate the fact that it's, it's very easy to, to separate when you're in one of the multiverse worlds. So every time you go to a page where you're on one of them, even though they're all vastly different, they're all not Earth. They're all very clearly right away not Earth, uh, whether that's through the color palette or just the, the wacky locales or whatever it is. Uh, so that's always really appreciated. Um, so um, it does suffer from some things that these event books do, is you know, particularly in the art where, well, the, the, some of the spreads look fantastic. There are so many pages with so many characters like talking or just in the background whilst there's other characters having conversations. Inherently, there's always low quality like side characters just standing around like it can never be completely consistent through all the way out it's just one of the uh, the evils of having to do a book like this where you've got everyone in it it is the only way around it is you get gary frank to do it on a doomsday clock schedule yeah it gives basically them two to three months for issue yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how you do it uh, which to be fair did pay off it looked great <laughs> it does in, in the long run looks amazing makes for a nice collected individual story but in terms of how event comics have to function and how things need to react to it, well, we we saw how there was no reaction to Doomsday Clock in the end because of that. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think you know if I, if I was to critique the story at this point, like I really like the legacy element of it, and I'm all for the Justice League coming in to like help this big fight going up. I will say the Justice League themselves, like being trapped in these worlds. Uh, it did feel maybe a little quick and easy to get them out of it. You know, we, we kind of built up to this a couple of issues ago with Barry remembering who he was and then, like, him going looking for the other Justice League members, and that was all fine. And I didn't really want, like, tons of issues of him, like, encountering them one by one. Um, I think what's weird about it is that they've went for this thing in the middle where we saw them go to get Batman and we sort of show them him, like, them breaking him out of it and kind of like skipping ahead and sort of you know showing how easy it's going to be for the rest of them from that point on i almost think that's a detriment in a way because i think if you just had barry go off and then have a big return moment and have it sort of build up kind of and like without really seeing it so that it just was like oh hey like the just league are about to come back and have your big two-page spread i think that would have almost maybe worked a little bit better because it felt like okay it's just something that's happening off panel and we just trust that our you know our primary justice league characters are doing this on the right. We can maybe do a little bit of it in the one shots that are running alongside it. Say, I'm yeah. almost surprised that wasn't like a theme of the one shots. Yeah. Uh, no, I think the, well, the one shots from what I read, because I read a couple of them, it was basically just like, here they are in their world and like the, the, the illusion they're in kind of thing 
rather than like there being the story of them realizing it necessarily. Yeah, see that like if it was if it was me, I probably would have done one or two at the start that was like that, and then to and then break format and have it be mm. the the escaping the world essentially. Yeah, if they wanted to do it that way, that'd be fine. Um, but I think there's the two extremes where you believe it all be kind of in the background and you have it just be like. Oh, you know, like in the background, Batman's been concocting this plan, and now we're going to see it struck. And it's like, yeah, Batman had a plan, bitches. Like, you haven't feel like that sort of moment, but for the entire Justice League, or you sort of make it feel harder and tougher, and make it feel more like a like a real journey to get to that point. This is kind of in between, and as a result, it feels kind of like the worst of both worlds because it's kind of rushed. So you just get like a little bit of it, and then it skips, and it's like, okay, but they're already out. So it just feels a bit too easy, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah. So, uh. But, you know, I like, I, I think the, you know, we brought up Doomsday Clock a couple of times. Doomsday Clock felt like a special thing I was excited to read every time. Dark Races has never reached that. Dark Races is not even close to that in terms of, like, anticipation. But it's been a very enjoyable event to read. If you if you like your typical event, your, your typical crisis event with uh, all these ideas being thrown together and referencing the, the history of the crises, which... Uh, some DC fans are sick of, and some still get a kick out of it. But I, I think whether or not you're into it kind of largely just depends on your tolerance for that at this point. Uh, but I think it's done solidly enough in its craft. Like, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with the writing too much. Uh, and certainly the art is of a very, very solid level uh, throughout. But barring, of course, the millions of characters that have to get drawn in there for obviously some in the background and smaller panels and things like that suffer. But uh, that's just how it is. Um, that's good. Uh, Dark Crisis issue five. I will probably give that just an eight, just a nice solid eight. Uh, I think it's enjoyable. I think it's good. Uh, junk food event fair, but you know, don't don't have your expectations too high either. So, cool. Uh, Dark Crisis, the Deadly Green issue one. Ram V, Alex Perkin, Nadell, and Dan Waters writing, and there's a few artists on it as well. I'll, I'll give you them in a wee second when I'm on the the page. Um. So yeah, this is basically a group of characters go off on this little side mission to try and figure out, and we see the result of it in the main book already, which is they've got uh, Pariah's original contraption. But this, you can tell why Ram V's been put on this as, as one of the writers. I was expecting a main story and like two backups because of the three writers. That's not that at all. Uh, it's just one big story. Yeah, uh, those those writers are all part of the, uh, the White Noise group. Which is like you know those, and I think maybe one or two others that are like you know a bunch of uh, mm. British writers that all share a studio and kind of work together pretty closely on a, oh, on okay. a lot of things. Interesting. Uh, as far as the art goes, there's four artists. Uh, it's just kind of split up uh, in various ways. Uh, Daniel Bayliss is one of the artists. Tom Dernick is a has got a section. Uh, we got George Cambadis and Brent Peoples. Uh, so at first I thought it was just split up evenly, but it's not quite. There is a little bit of like back and forth. So, um, yeah. So they they are obviously very inconsistent because of this. Uh, unfortunately, uh, that's the first thing that I would I would say right there. So this is kind of weird. Basically, they they want to investigate why the darkness is corrupted, and the you know Alan Scott's there, and they bring in his kids. They bring in Obsidian and Jade because Obsidian especially is connected to the darkness, and he can tell it's corrupted, and they want to investigate it. So they came up with this thing, and I'll be honest, I never quite exactly got the full ins and outs of what this was they were doing. <laughs> um, it seems like they travel into Alan's ring, which is like a magic entity of constructs, 
um but it's connected to the darkness but to go in so that the light doesn't just kill them they have to have the darkness with them so obsidian sort of beaming in his darkness so we basically get this mission with john ken um raven swamp thing it's actually both swamp things but when they go in and this is a neat little touch actually uh alec holland isn't there and levi explains that alec's not really a person anymore he's just like a, a part of the green and because there's he has no like human willpower he can't exist in here because this is a place of willpower so it's just levi uh wants to go in so i thought it was an interesting little like you know that's that's probably the benefit of having ram v be one of the the creatives on this he's got a cool little couple of details for for his boy um but yeah so so they go in and uh yeah constantine goes in as well but he gets separated and talks to upside down man i think turns into trigon and then eventually uh, you'll know better than i do who's the like the demon with the wings that he talks to a lot who who, who talks to the constantine talks to I didn't get who this was, to be honest. Uh, but I'm assuming if you're a Constantine fan, you know you'll know who it is. I don't know off the top of my head. He said he liked David Bowie. That's, that that could be a lot of things. Let's oh, be honest. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> well, when I get to the pages, maybe you'll have some context, please. <laughs> maybe, yeah. <laughs> I could describe it a little bit better. Uh, but yeah, so you know they talk about how dangerous it is a couple of characters you know are there to sort of like guard their bodies uh wonder girl's there uh jade stays there uh dr fate's there um but they go in uh and as far as the quality of the book goes so you know i've set up what the concept is it's it's kind of a mixed bag of an issue and i i think i felt a little conflicted reading it because there's little moments with like swamp thing or john that i like and there's uh like the ultimate thing they get but this is this is a, an oversized book this is a like an annual sized book it's like 40 pages or whatever um and i don't think it needs to be that long i think it feels stretched out i think it feels like there's a lot of excess um in here that i don't think need to be there um and i i, I felt like this weird journey inside this you know inside the ring of, of willpower that's all nothing but constructs uh and you know constructs from alan scott's ring so you know still green but obviously the flame rather than the traditional green lantern core constructs um so you've got swamp thing raven and john in here but the thrust of the plot for the middle of the issue is that the darkness that's in here is corrupting them and they start kind of like not trusting each other specifically not trusting raven because raven's also connected to the darkness uh because she's got you know evil in her because of trigon and all that um, and that's why she's here because she can navigate better because she's lived with it her whole life. Um, so you know it gets to this point where John and Swamp Thing start fighting with her and not trusting her, thinking she's like uh, trying to make them walk in circles because they they walk in circles at one point and it's not her fault, but they think it is. And all of this conflict, I just kind of felt like this feels like plot for plot's sake. And I, I get that you're trying to say that the darkness corrupts and it's affecting them and all that, and there's nothing wrong with that idea per se. I just never really felt like there was that much of a point to it. Um, this felt like the entire conceit of what the story is, like what they get by the end seems like a fun idea. And the, the realization that pariahs infecting the dark crisis or not the dark crisis, infecting the great darkness and not the other way around is an interesting plot development. Um, I'm not so sure. I actually really like what the journey, what the story of this book is, which is a shame because I really like Ram V at least out of the, the creatives. Um, and I like a lot of the characters that are involved. Uh, obviously not Constantine, because uh, screw him. But 
the rest of them, uh, I, I quite, <laughs> I quite enjoy. So, um, yeah, I, I, I just, I found a lot, and there was a lot of cutting back to like Constantine when he's talking to the upside down man, and then that turns into Trigon, and then, uh, like a lot of just philosophical sort of nonsense that just kind of you start, my eyes start to glaze over after a while about this like discussion about humanity and good and evil and all that. Um, and it, it didn't really feel like it had much like shape to it that felt like it had a point, uh, other than to just sound, you know, mm. kind of smart and like, oh, we're talking about things. Uh, the the killer thing towards the end is that uh, Levi kind of like surrounds John in like a like a a green armor of sorts, so, you know, made of like swamp thing looking vines, uh, to give him the the power to like get through and stuff like that. Um. So that's kind of neat. Yeah. So yeah, the the dude that Constantine talks to has got big red wings. The only thing I can think of with the Bowie reference would be Lucifer. I think maybe maybe Lucifer. Because obviously, but obviously, because obviously, Lucifer in the the Vertigo take on Lucifer that you know Constantine interacted with a lot was drawn, modeled on on Bowie. So that that's kind of the the only thing I can think of there. But. I, I don't know, maybe this is a slightly different take on it that they've been using in DC Universe lately that I've not seen. Yeah, Constantine just says at the end, uh, don't worry about me, all I did was have a little chin wag with the dark. That's all he says about it to the others when he gets back. Mm. Uh, this is definitely something where I think a Constantine reader would probably just know who this is. Uh, and, yeah, that's my best guess. But obviously, yeah. Lucifer typically doesn't look that demonic in, in the Virgo stuff, but may- maybe in... Well, he's not demonic here. He's he's got wings. He's got maybe pointy ears, but that's about it. Okay. Yeah, a, uh, I'm I'm gonna guess loose for them. Yeah, I think he obviously he was impersonating uh upside down man and then Trigon, but when he ultimately turns into into this, he's he's just like a sort of naked human with red wings. Yeah. Okay. We'll go with that. Okay. There we go. <laughs> um. So yeah, I just I felt a little unfulfilled with this. Obviously, the art being inconsistent as well. Uh, like, I would have been nice as well, because, you know, once they go, it'd have been nice if there was one artist for everything back in the, the basement of the Hall of Justice, you know, where they were inside the ring, and then maybe a different artist for inside the ring, but it doesn't work like that. You know, like, when we get back to there, I mean, we do cut back there a couple of times throughout the issue when it's the other characters talking about Alan being in pain or needing help, and, you know, his kids have to kind of, like, help him through, because to, to make this work, because Obsidian's, like, blasting darkness into him, He's effectively having like a waking nightmare <laughs> the whole time, whilst they're inside his ring. Uh, the whole the whole thing's like I never really quite understood, like the explanation from Obsidian at the start of to what they were exactly doing, and like that they were going into this ring to check out if the like what was going on with the darkness. Like I just sort of vaguely got it. I didn't really quite like feel like I had it was, properly was it kind explained. Of a, just, just something about it too hard. It, it felt like that. Yeah, I, I I never quite got exactly what it was mm. going on necessarily or why this was going to work. Um, so, I you know, I I felt just a little bit, like, at arm's reach from the comic at all times, I think, because of that. Um, and like I say, the, the central conflict, I thought, so, sadly, despite the fact that I like a lot of these characters and I like Ram V, um, I, I think I'm landing on something like a six for this. Like, I, I do not think it's, like, a essential read for the event, by any means. Um, which it didn't need to be to be good, necessarily, but, um... Yeah, I felt a bit unfulfilled and just like, you know, it was an overlong issue. It felt overlong. 
I, I just I felt a little disheartened by it by, by the end, uh, which is a shame uh, for all the reasons I stated. But uh, at the same time, it's not the worst thing ever. And I suspect that if you're a bigger Constantine fan, you probably get something more of it than I did. It sounds kind of um, typical event tie-in fair. Mm. Yeah, like, sadly, because a, a lot of event tie-ins are not terrible, but they're kind of just superfluous. They're there to you know make the company a bit more money really which, at the end of the day which i wasn't necessarily going to be mad about but i i just thought with because it was focusing on swamp thing and it was focusing on you know ram v was one of the, the writers on it i thought oh i might quite like this but i still didn't escape that just superfluous event tie-in yeah. feeling so uh it's a shame but it is what it is uh so there you go Batman one two eight Chip Zarsky writing Jorge Jimenez on the art. Um, so you've not been here for the first couple of issues of this no, Batman I, run. I, I read it all this week. <laughs> well, b- brief summary of your thoughts on the previous issues before we. Mm, intriguing. I'm not completely sold yet, mm-hmm. but I'm open to see what it does. Yeah, I, I thought this was a roller coaster because I I liked the first issue, but it didn't blow me away. Um, basically the robot came out then and went, oh, what? And then next issue it was like, oh wait, it's like a Terminator hunting down the bath. This is actually kind of awesome. And then it dropped the Zero and R thing on me and I went, oh god, what's it doing now? <laughs> um, yeah, that's where I was like, okay, now I'm really intrigued because what? <laughs> and you know, the, the last issue where you know, it was, we sort of had this explanation that oh, the, the Batman of Zero and R built this thing, which is why regular Batman doesn't know about it. It was like another part of his mind <laughs> that did it. And I was like, okay, okay, that's kind of interesting, I suppose. Um, and then this issue kind of, like, catapults things a bit further with, uh, like, the fall. obviously the last issue ended with Superman showing up. Um, and the first thought that me and Matt had, of course, which is the first thought Batman basically has, is like, yeah, but if Batman built this thing, he probably built it. Because this is all very much, like, Tower of Babel, but he built which it for himself. in previous issues. Yeah, it was referenced, yeah. They weren't hiding that comparison, obviously, but this, this is basically Tower of Babel, but for himself. Um... But naturally, it's also designed to handle all the other members of the league, should they try and interfere. Just in case, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so there's a, there's a fun little bit at the start where Superman tries to fight it, and, uh, you know... It, Stabbed with kryptonite. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Ollie shows up in Marshall Manhart shop, uh, Dinah and Hot Girl there. They're all trying to fight it. Uh, I actually kind of love this this page of like Batman and Superman just lying, both dying together <laughs> in pain, and Batman and like, you can good? Like, yeah, 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 it's cool. Yeah, yeah, there was almost like a comic uh, relief element to them, just sort of like cutting back to them lying, they'd be like, hey Clark, are you alive? Yeah, but you Bruce, are you alive? Like, I don't know, I just I got a chuckle uh, for whatever <laughs> reason. <see> <laughs> um... So Bruce is able to crawl over and like pull out the kryptonite, but he's like, hey, he needs like you know Fortress of Solitude surgery <laughs> to like mend them up and stuff like right now. Uh, so Tim and Oliver, uh, Tim Drake, that is just in case because <laughs> not mentioned him yet. Uh, you know, go to the Justice League jet, put them on it, and take off. Uh, and yeah, so. Uh, Phil safes in Gotham. He f- he flees the Justice League members. Uh, Nightwing's chasing after the Oracle's there, uh, calling shots. Uh, the four Justice League members we mentioned are chasing after it. But when they get to this this city street, like all of a sudden, there's like guns popping out of the side of the buildings. There's like a, a very specific like defense for Black Canary that covers her mouth to stop her from screaming. 
kind of like a respirator, but it's like designed yeah, like, to like limit our breath. Yeah, like suffocates her. Even mentions that there's enough oxygen for her to live, just not you know enough for her to scream, which sounds plausible and something that a you know Batman <laughs> could do. Yeah, right? and at first I thought, oh, did he just launch that? And then then obviously Babs figures it out that oh, Bruce owns this street or did own this street, and all these defenses were built. Like Failsafe has all this at its disposal. This is like a trap street for the Justice League. I was like, oh, okay, all right, all right, that's interesting. Um, so, and actually, I really like how that scene ends as well, where uh, like Oliver's like, well, what about us? Because like all the superheroes, like Justice League members, get taken down, but Oliver's like, looking at Dick and goes, yeah, but what about us normies? <laughs> they don't have powers. Um, and then like Phil's just like, oh, that's that just come over and beat the show, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically. Well, I mean... Good robot's gonna do that. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, I just, I like the kind of the. There's no special like plans for you guys because you don't have any special abilities to worry about. Yeah, I don't need one. Just beat the shit out of you. That'll do. Uh, so Bruce is like, I programmed the jet for the fortress, Tim. You need to look after Superman. Do not follow me. Uh, so Tim's not happy about it, but Batman dives out the plane into the water and sets off a you know a beeper or something for Aquaman <laughs> to come and get him. Yeah, and he wakes up in Atlantis two weeks later. He's but he's been out in like a, a medical pod for two weeks, like healing from all of his wounds. He's had uh, fish healing him. Yes, yes, state of the art fish, fishy. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a fish pun. Go on, I, I want to see what you can come up with. Hmm. Hmm. Sure. <laughs> Sharp. Look, the point is, is that he wakes up and he's healing, and we find out in this two weeks, and this is the part where it takes to sleep. Where I'm like, "Whoa, I wasn't expecting this." Is failsafe has taken over Gotham, and it's kind of like a like a, a one robot led security state now, waiting for Batman to return. Uh, like it's yeah. got most of the the heroes are all like imprisoned, except one or two that are running around. You see, like a uh, Cass and uh, Duke running around in the alleys, like yeah. in secret. But otherwise, they're all, like, imprisoned, and he's smashed the bat signal, and the end of the issue is, like, him using, like, a bunch of light drones to make a giant bat signal in the sky, and it's basically, come get me, Bruce, kind of thing. Yeah, this, it kind of lost me a little bit here, because this feels like a a beat that we've done, obviously a lot in comics in general, but mm. specifically recently. This feels like the uh, the the end of the Tom King... That the, you know with the the city of Bane stuff. Even specifically Batman, because it made me think of No Man's Land a little bit as well. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, that was in the the more general Batman stuff. But like recently, with the city of Bane, um, even there was stuff in I can't remember which metal event it was. It might have been the second one. It was the the miniseries where we followed Dick. Like there, there was a lot of that stuff going on there. Uh, it feels like a pretty. I don't know, like a, a little bit of an, I won't say overdone because no, it's not like exactly the same as all these but just familiar enough right now I mean it, even the uh, well, going back slightly further when Tynan I think it was Tynan that was on tech at the time with the uh, the future Evil Tim stuff yeah like again you know very familiar with that there I think it all just kind of depends for me on like how it actually plays out when like it's Batman going into the city to take him on. Like what what how does that? Because I wasn't yeah. actually thrilled when they revealed failsafe at the end of the first issue of this arc, but then the second issue was like, no, this is like a Terminator hunting down Batman, and all the Bat family are jumping in and getting their asses kicked. Like I actually really enjoyed what they did with it. 
in the next yeah. issue. But yeah. which was this isn't inherently bad. No, it just it feels like a bit of a, a swerve to like a new idea that I wasn't seeing coming. I, I thought it was just going to be more like Failsafe takes out some Justice League members and you know Batman keeps being on the run. And now it Failsafe has Gotham now. Get back yeah. in there. Yeah. And again, like I said, it, it might be really good still. Uh, like I say, the failsafe stuff so far has been pretty solid. Uh, it's more just as a as a cliffhanger. It doesn't leave me particularly excited. Uh, you know, uh, it's it's more now it's got to prove itself and overcome this cliffhanger as opposed to, you know, building off of it and, and leaving mm. me in a positive place. Yeah, I mean, I'm still impressed with a lot of things that Zarsky's put in this uh, this arc. So even if I end up not loving where the arc ultimately goes, I'd, I'm still kind of pumped for like what else he's going to do with the character. Because like, there's a couple of times where he's done something where like, I don't know if I like that. There's, there's two issues out of four have ended with like a cliff. Well, see now, I guess, but two out of four have ended with a cliffhanger where I've went, oh, I don't know about that. And then the next issue, I've went, you know what? Actually, <laughs> it kind of worked for me. It is, and there's, I mean, yeah. So far, I'd say the odds would suggest that we'll probably do the same again, you know, with the next issue of this, where you'll go, do you know what? That, that kind of worked. Very, very possibly. Which, you know, he's playing with fire in a weird way. Uh, but maybe he doesn't see it's... it that way. Maybe he likes the cliff fires, but it's just kind of funny that we're like, ah, I don't know about these. Oh, no, I actually ended up pretty good. It's actually kind of interesting that if it does keep delivering, it'll get to a point where you'll stop feeling worried about the cliffhangers because you're like, ah, oh, it's fine. It always delivers. And then, and then it'll not deliver one time and it'll feel so much worse <laughs> yeah but at that point it's like well one out of you know 20 or yeah. whatever is fine so it's whatever yeah, I can, i'll yeah, forgive yeah, it it's but. gonna happen at some point and maybe it's this time maybe it's later who knows well that's the thing we're not saying like if this if this if i don't like what this does with this story the next issue it's not like one weaker issue out of however many it's specifically one weaker follow-up issue where previously he's had questionable cliffhangers that have turned out to be great. It's a really specific metric. So even yeah. one out of three on that scale is not bad, actually. All things considered. Yeah, it's but... such a unusual, I don't want to say complaint, but critique. Because it's very rare that I'm so cautious about a cliffhanger and then it completely wins me over. And, yeah. and even rarer that I can do it like twice in a row. Maybe three times. We'll see soon. Maybe three. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, but, I mean, the action, of course, was, was good. It wasn't as... Because I, like, the, the the second issue of this, which was the, the car chase and the Bat family, like, coming in one by one, like, I thought the action in that issue was phenomenal and the way it was drawn yeah. and sequencing. Obviously, we had Jimenez doing quite a bit on Batman during <clears> time and <throat> stuff. Uh, but, ah, oh, it does such a great Gotham. That, yeah, you know, I'm enjoying having him back again. There was just lots a, of really good action set pieces that were really well laid out, and I felt like the big moments playing off. This one doesn't have as many of them, or you know, because we're kind of doing different things. But like I say, that that cut to them lying on the floor as the other league members are fighting it was a good moment, and it's like another example of just how well structured. And I'm assuming I'm assuming this is also on Zarsky as a writer as well that he's kind of setting this up for uh, Jimenez to. I actually really like Jimenez's Superman as well. Like the very first panel of the book, mm. it looks like a an older Superman, not like you know really old, obviously, but like you know slightly older than what we maybe typically see. Um, but with his kind of you know rougher lines that Jimenez have, that that, that kind of plays really well with the, the colors in this book. But we don't tend to see it with 
characters like Superman, I think it looks really good. Yeah, yeah. The whole angry dad thing at the start as well, and the narration yeah. was, a, was a neat touch. Uh, yeah. So no, I mean, I, I enjoyed the issue. I, 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 once again, I'm saying I don't know how I feel about what this issue does towards the end, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, there's a backup as well, which is also by Zarsky. Uh, and this is uh, basically the ZNR or I think it's called ZNR Year One or Failsafe Year One. Uh, but it's basically this idea of when ZNR first started appearing. Um, it kind of ends at this point where is the Joker aware and is the Joker kind of like become more unhinged because he knows Batman's more unhinged now at the end. That's kind of how it wraps up. Uh, I wouldn't say there's too much of a story. It's, it's a little bit uh, kind of scattershot of like Batman's mind uh, thinking about like who he is and you know what's going on right now. Uh, but nice, nice art though for it. Oh yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah, uh, old school uh, vibe. The, the smaller ears and stuff like that to give it that sense. Yeah, of... a little bit Frank of Villa esque with the colours. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bel Air doing the colours there. I, I see, but I think she's doing a, a good job of like replicating that feel that that you get from that sort of story. Yeah, because I, I mean I don't really have much to say about it, but I did like the moment where you know he's he's with Gordon and. He's looking at the photos of like the the victims of the laughing gas that the Joker's used, and he notices that there's something wrong with it. He says it's a fake smile, um, and you sort yeah. of get the sense that the Zoo and our Batman's like the one in control, or it's starting to creep through. And you know, I I kind of like the 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 feeling of that towards the end of it. Um, but I don't have too much to say on it as a whole. It's just there's not a lot in it, and it's like eight pages or whatever it is. No, it's the sort of thing that maybe as a whole, once there's you know a couple of parts to it, it might feel. Like a decent chunk, but as as is, it is a bit too short to really get anything in any meat in it. Yeah. All right. What are you rating, Batman? Um, I think I'll give it an eight, just about. I think seven point five would have been there, but I think the art kind of just not pushed it up a bit. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'll give it an eight as well. Like I say, some trepidations, but the mm. the direction at the end. But it's still very enjoyable and uh, good art and sequencing. So, yeah, good stuff. All right. Gotham City Year One, Issue One. Tom King writing with Phil Hester uh, on the art. So this is the next miniseries from Tom King. Uh, and I do love the idea of Gotham One getting a Year One. Or Gotham One. Gotham City getting a Year One. <laughs> Gotham One. Uh, yeah, And I wasn't really sure exactly what this was going to be. You know, we obviously had to solicit when the, it was first came out and stuff. But... This we uh, knew Slam Bradley, right? Yeah, we knew Slam Bradley was going to be like kind of lead character here. Um, and we get this story that does bring in the Waynes, Richard Wayne, which is Bruce's grandfather, and his wife Constance uh, are characters in here as well. And it teases at the start that there's some mystery going on about why they're not like revealing their baby to the public too much, like they've been kind of reclusive with their their their, their daughter, and. Slam is introduced at his office. Uh, this woman comes in, uh, kind of under mysterious circumstances, saying she's got an envelope for him to deliver and uh, money to pay him. It's not from her. Like she's given, the, she's she's doing this on the behalf of someone else, and she gives her name as Sue, but doesn't really give much else. Um, and notably, this is the sixties, and there's a lot of talk later on in the issue about um the black areas of Gotham City, and this woman is black, so d- worth mentioning that here at the start. Um, what threw me off here at the start here, and I guess it makes sense now with the timeline, uh, 
But it started off by saying it's 1962 or something like that. Uh, and then, sorry, 1961. And I'm like, man, these moving timelines of comic books are like, because I'm just so used to like, you know, like if you tell me like what time period would you say Bruce's grandfather was like, I, I would have been like turn of the century. <laughs> you know, that was my first statement. But obviously if you're thinking about it in present day times, and like what age Bruce is supposed to be now, and you sort of work your way back. Yeah, by now, yeah, maybe the sixties is all right. Yeah, I mean, I typically think of Bruce as kind of early fifties. He'd yeah. be younger than that if, if we were in sixty-one with his grandfather before he's, you know, his father's even an adult. Yeah, I suppose it'd have to be. Because. Uh... Because there's no mention of Richard having a son here, so I don't know if Thomas is even born yet. Mm, okay, because 50s would take you back to what, like 70s? Yeah, early 70s. Yeah. So like 10 I don't years know. I, that. I guess, yeah, I, I guess I expect Bruce to be a bit older than that. Like that. That feels like a very young Bruce in this continuity, then. Yeah. And Bruce um, can't be older than 30, really, at this point, then, surely. Yeah, I would, I would say. Which, I mean, I think technically uh, New 52 did establish something like that, but obviously the timeline was wonky because he's, like, he's had four Robins in the space of five years or something stupid like that. Yeah, yeah. Like, this feels like it's skewing back towards a younger Bruce than I think of, but... Yeah. yeah. Uh. I mean, if, it, if anything, I would have said 61 would have sounded right for a Thomas Wayne story. That's what I would have thought. I would have thought 61 would have been a Thomas Wayne story... And a Richard Wayne story would be like back in the thirties or something like that. Yeah, thirties or forties would have been my immediate reaction to yeah, where this would be set. That's it, though. I, I don't think there was any reference to to Thomas Wayne existing. I mean, maybe he's off at college or something. <laughs> you know, maybe yeah. it's just skewing a bit different than what I think it is. Uh, but anyway, so he thinks it's weird, but he, he gets his uh, assistant, um, old Johnny, to. Uh, tr- tailor and find out where she came from and see if there's more to this but he takes the money he takes the job uh and he goes to the wayne manor uh the art here is fantastic hester's art works really well here there's a lot of flat colors um a lot of muted yellows tans browns and things to give you the sense of the time period you know uh, when he's in his office like it's mostly again very earthy tones white backgrounds with uh grays and browns and yellows like there's a very specific color scheme to this uh, and it gives it uh the time period down uh so when, when he goes to the the mansion he's basically accosted by the head of security who's actually an old cop that he used to knew, know when he was on the force and they sort of rough him up a little bit to the point where after he meets uh constance wayne he's taken down to a basement area and beat to shit uh and it's not until quite late on they even read his... Actually, no, I think I think they, they read the letter first. Like, eventually Richard Wayne shows up and they read the letter first. Um, but ultimately what's going on here is it turns out after some questioning, because they're not really telling them what's going on until late, later on, uh, is that their child's been kidnapped, their daughter's been kidnapped, and this note was like a, a second note from whoever's got her uh, with the ransom saying to give the money to Slam Bradley. He's going to deliver it. Don't call the police, blah, blah, blah. And it matches a note that was left when the baby was taken. It matches a note. Uh, and what's notable about the note is that it's signed with a bat symbol. 
which is probably the only thing in this issue that I don't like because it's mm. the one thing that made me go uh, and roll my eyes. Uh, so I, I don't know like where they're going with that, you know, uh, especially since Richard starts coining whoever this is, the Batman, you know, with a, like a hyphen. Uh, so very prequely, isn't it? Yeah. That, up until that point, I was really into this. I was into, okay, all right. Yeah. We've got like a, you know, a kidnapping of a Wayne baby. Slam Bradley's a detective going to go and find it. We're going to delve into some of the darker hist- side of the history of the, the, the city the idea that you've got the rich neighborhoods and you've got the poor neighborhoods, which uh, some of which are black neighborhoods, and kind of like the attitude of like the the rich people try to clear up those parts of the city, but you know the 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 unsaid part being to get rid of the people that are there. Uh, part of the the background plot is that Richard Wayne's building a factory in the south side of Gotham, where the poor areas are. So there's all this like mythology stuff and like city building in the background. That I actually really like, and I really like the, the Slam Bradley stuff. Um, I'm still into the plot. I'm still into the kidnapping plot. It's just this actual bat thing that I'm like, what is this? I don't... <laughs> what are you doing here, King? And maybe there's going to be a point. Maybe it's going to all make some sense later on. Maybe there's some wonkiness here to Slam's memory. Because the, the sort of... Not twist, but the reveal at the end of the issue is that all his narration, he's actually talking to Batman in present day. Or it's, I don't know if it's present day continuity, but it's you know, present day... You know, somewhere when he's Batman. Um, yeah. So he's telling this story to Batman as a really old man um, and talking about the darkness of the city and all that. Um, and it's basically saying, yeah, you think Gotham broke when you were around, but it broke before you. It broke long before. Um, and you know, the, he does sort of talk about when he's driving around. Yeah, there's bad parts to the city, but it is kind of like this family neighborhood where everyone sort of still treats each other like in a small town. Um is that true? Is he right to think that? Uh, or is that just his perspective and he's not really uncovered the darkness, the true darkness yet? Uh, the big thing, though, that makes it a bit murkier is once he's eventually let go, and the Waynes don't necessarily believe that he's innocent, even though he's saying that he is, but the instructions are to make him be the one that delivers the money anyway, so they have to kind of go through with it. And there's some great full-page panels of him walking from the Way Manor in the rain. It's very moody, very pulpy. Um... But probably the most pulpy thing is when he, he gets back to his office and it's all red and black, kind of like uh, the nighttime lights with just the, the red street lights on the outside to give you that, that drama, again, very noir style tone. Um, he gets a phone call and the phone call is, is that his assistant that he sent tailing uh, Sue, the woman that delivered the letter in the, the first place, he's turned up dead. He's like been dumped in like some cement or something. Uh, and he's been shot with Slam's own gun that he gave him for protection when he went out to follow her. So now the cops are like, where were you all day? Your, your guy just showed up dead with, you know, your own gun. And he can't tell them because he's been told by the Waynes not to tell the police about anything that's going on because the, the kidnappers will kill the kid. So he's found himself in this weird position where he's responsible for saving this kid now and no one on any side trusts him. <laughs> so it's kind of like a really hard done by kind of, uh, kind of story. And this all plays out like in the, the work site where they're going to build this factory. Um, and there's the big sort of billboard saying, coming soon to Southside, the Wayne Industrial Refinery, the future of Gotham, uh, which I, I always enjoy. It's like a very back to the future and, you know, even like dark with the, the nuclear power plant. And this like, oh, here's, there's like some sort of landmark in the city we're going to use to like be this central point for everything. Um, but yeah, the last page is like super old Slam Bradley, uh, you know, talking about this. Um, he, he says he sounds just like his grandfather. 
which implies that he knows who Batman is, uh, which is worth mentioning, because he says, you sound just like your grandfather, and, um, you know, you don't look back, you know, you don't look back to what was before you kind of thing. There's truth, there's secrets. Um, Gotham fell before you ever got here, which is a really cool line. Uh, this idea that, you know, and, and that's, it was always kind of known, that's always kind of true. Like, you know, Batman became Batman because the, the, the city was already corrupt and gone to shit. Uh, so... Yeah, but yeah, the last line is just him looking at Batman, saying so you, you don't know a damn thing. Uh, to be continued. So I really like the story. I really like the mystery that's setting up. Um, the only thing I don't like is the idea of the kidnapper using this bat symbol, which does make me wonder if there is going to be some sort of weird other element to it, like uh, whether it's time travel or whether it's uh, I don't know, or or maybe like slams, <laughs> like not a, a trustworthy narrator or something like that. Um, but the fact that Batman's here to he listen to this story implies that there's something to learn, specific, and maybe mm-hmm. it ties into what this, you know, this this kidnapper who used this symbol. Um, but I certainly wouldn't have thought it was going to be a time travel story of any kind, but that bad symbol definitely makes me kind of hope that it is, or something akin to it, because otherwise it's just so on the nose and prequely that I, you know, I'll, I'll hate that in retrospect. For now... I'll see where it's going because the mood and the tone and the characters and all the Slam Bradley detective stuff is all great. Uh, and the art the art is like perfect for it. The art is, I can't, you know, compliment it enough. Uh, lots of flat colours, like I said, but also lots of flat shadows, you know. Uh, the the panel where he's looking down at his dead friend and the, the, the cement. Like, the rain's like pouring down on him so you get like the drips coming off his hat but the shadow completely covers his eyes so you don't actually get to see his eyes in this shot. It's like so moody and like, you really get that kind of uh, pulpy noir, but also mixed with maybe a little of David Fincher's Seven in terms of like just how sinister it feels and how kind of hopeless the world feels around him. Uh, so I really dig that. Uh, so needless to say, like I'm not surprised to come out of this going. I'm definitely reading this year too because it was another good Tom King book. But uh, there is that one element that I might not like depending what it does with it either if it stays muted enough it, i won't let it ruin things for me or if it there's a re- good reason for it that actually does isn't just a coincidence then cool it really does play on the sort of from what sounds like at least uh the, these sort of prequel elements to books uh, on you know media in general that you specifically really <laughs> dislike i mean it's just that one thing because everything with this the city and like the idea of the city like how it became corrupt originally is, is an interesting thing to just talk about and like okay and also the idea that slam bradley is the character we're following because that's who detective comics was about before batman mm-hmm. and that's kind of a neat little sort of way to weave it into whether this in continuity or just like its own thing you know is another question which I'll, I'll answer maybe by the end of it but um i i do like exploring of this time period of gotham i think it's interesting and um i i don't think having a kidnap plot where Richard has to get his uh, his daughter back and it feels forced into the history of the Waynes because before Thomas Wayne everything's just kind of up for you know other than the fact that they're a rich family that moved to the city and helped found it it's like everything's fair all you need yeah yeah so uh, but I did really like it otherwise though I'm just a little concerned about this this bat symbol shenanigans uh, makes sense on the ransom letters and stuff so, depending on who this villain turns out to be and like why they're doing it and what's going on, um, will sort of dictate how I appreciate some of the the answers in the story. But uh, I cannot deny it's a very well crafted comic book. Not that I'm surprised at this point, but 
really good stuff. So, uh, I will give it, I'll give it a nine. Because I do think it's a great, great comic book. There's just that one story detail that could become a problem uh, as time goes on. But it was overwhelmingly very, very good otherwise. So, there you go. That's that. Alright, next up. The Joker, The Man Who Stopped Laughing, issue one. Matthew Rosenberg writing with Carmine DJ Domenico on the R. Um, and so, uh, Confession, you weren't here. I actually never read the last two issues of Task Force Z. Uh, oh, did you drop off it? It was, it was, it was kind of a happenstance thing. It was just like I, I didn't have time for the issue eleven the week, and then when issue twelve came out, I'd forgotten to go back and read it. So that was this two issue, like job mm. when I had other books to read. Um, so I never quite finished. I, I know that there was you know all sorts of crazy shenanigans going on. I know Two Face was left and a fair bit of power and all the rest, which is obviously kind of implied in here. But, uh, yeah, obviously you have Rosenberg who's been writing some characters on the, the the Gotham world recently uh and you know it's interesting to see uh, Gio Domenico jump over to this after being on the night uh just just yeah there. and we we saw him on some Batman stuff in the past very briefly I think yeah mm. uh, one of the crossover things yeah uh so yeah I wasn't really I, I didn't really look into what this book was too much I'll, I'll just I'll give it a go based on the creators and see what it is the hot new joker book yeah yeah um so it it starts with you know joker uh you know kidnaps this you know mob boss seemingly right you know we don't get a good look at them we just we just sort of get this impression of the people around them at this dinner table that's been you know body parts have been put in the food the joker's in the kitchen all wacky joker shenanigans all that stuff uh, and then we see him like you know beating them up and like, they've all got hoods in their heads uh but two-face and riddler and uh black mass show up and basically like joker no one wants you back in gotham why don't you just go <laughs> just you know make a sh- riddler's got a massive staff now a, a massive staff that's you know it's question mark shaped to, to an extent it's basically a straight staff with like, just the, the curve at the top to give it the it's got a big hook yeah yeah uh so they're they're like the the, the bosses in gotham though they want joker to be gone and joker kind of surprisingly ultimately agrees uh, there's a there's kind of a funny moment here. There's a darkly funny moment uh, where our main character, who's narrating, who we don't know really who it is, uh, in the suit with the hood over his head, uh, says, "Oh, you know, it seems silly, but I, I think I may actually survive this." And then Black Mask goes, "Hey, what about this one guy you've left alive?" And Joe goes, "Oh yeah, him." And then just shoots him in the head. That was mildly funny. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't fault that. Uh, but then things get weird because then he wakes up. Uh, when there's two like lackeys, yeah, a couple of days later, there's two lackeys like disposing of the body, and then he wakes up, and uh, is alive for some reason. So he's walking around with this like hood on his head for the rest of the issue until the, the obviously the reveal at the end. Um, while Joker's in LA, he wants to take over uh, California and maybe all the cities around the world, all the, con- the country. Uh, he goes on TV and makes his announcement. He he pushes the, the LA mob boss out of his, you know sky rise to his death um as our hooded mysterious figure goes back to arkham asylum uh it's you know like i wasn't sure how to feel about a lot of this plot like i was just kinda like okay okay joker's going and doing stuff in la and it's a different setting for him yeah yeah i mean how did you feel about any of this 
I I did not love this book. I'm gonna I'm not gonna lie to you. Um There was a lot of it where the the disconnect with the narration and kind of following, you know, this this mysterious hooded kind of victim and then just seeing all the Joker stuff. It it didn't like necessarily line up all that well for me. Yeah, I wasn't sure like what I was feeling. I was feeling a little conflicted about it. There was like little moments so I was like, oh that's a neat little moment or idea or things like that. But Yeah. I, I, I kinda it was funny because the reveal at the end, which is kinda like wait, what's going on here, uh, is that the hooded figure is also the Joker. <laughs> that's that's the end of the issue. Yeah, is this a a, a secret three jokers sequel? I don't know. I mean I know obviously Task Force Z was like resurrecting uh, people, which maybe explains how he died and came back potentially here. But then it's is the other one really of the Joker or yeah, you know? yeah. I, and if I don't so, know. which one is the real Joker? Uh, that's a fair question. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's levels to this. Uh, it's it, yeah. I, I don't think I'm going to read any more of this. It's. There's some intriguing ideas in here, but it, it definitely feels like just an overcomplicated Joker story that, well, I do like Carmine G. Domenico and sit on certain books. I don't necessarily think he fits every book, and I think, well, you might think, oh, the wacky lines, the way he sort of draws things in that sketchy format might work for someone like the Joker. I don't think it works for the sort of Joker book that I like. In the same way that a Harley Quinn book, you've got your Cedric Harley Quinn book, and then you've got your ongoing, like, you know, just comedy book. Not that this is just a comedy book, but it's kind of veering towards that in the way it looks, because it's more lighthearted and it's more comical, as opposed to being a Joker who's a bit more scary, which is what I kind of like yeah, a bit more. I, I think there is a Giudomenico Joker book that can work, but I think Giudomenico works best with action sequences. Mm, and and that's, not, not to, that's not to say he's bad at, you know, positioning characters in a room talking, because he's not. There's, it's just not where he excels. Yeah, and there's not a lot of actions in this. So the guy getting kicked out the window is maybe the only big moment of action. Yeah, because you know, Domenico's strength is in in his motion, right? You know, the, the flow of, of what's happening in a scene. And I don't think this book has much flow. I think it's very disjointed. Yeah, there's like a montage of, uh, over two pages of like different... I have different places in LA or different cities around the, the country um, being like attacked by Joker cronies because he's taken over everywhere um, and like Harley seen it on the news and stuff like that and it's, it's a bit weird because it's kind of like if he was taking over like attacks in multiple cities like this I feel like not only would Batman get involved I feel like he might even like get like an entire Justice League involved just stopping all this shit uh, yeah but yeah, the end of the issue is uh, the masked man who turns out to be a Joker like goes into a bathroom and like kills the guy that's in there. And uh, I-, I will say this though, it did explain something that I did have a problem with before because I did think the narration text, the lettering was a little too Jokery looking and it was confusing me early on why the narration wasn't the Joker. And then when you get to the end, it's like, oh, he's also a Joker. I guess that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, because it did feel very Jokery as well. There's the bit, um, I think it's when he wakes up and he talks about the the joke of, mm. oh, you know, first thing you gotta do is make sure he's dead. You know, and you hear the gunshot, um, which felt like a really Joker thing to reference. Yeah, like this kind of very, really kind of stupid joke that everyone's heard. That's not actually funny, really, because you've heard it so many times. But obviously, the Joker would put some sick twist on it, right? I mean, it would. Like, 
makes sense to me that the hooded one's the real Joker and the other one's not because he leaves Gotham pretty much when he's asked to and because this whole expanding and being like a, a, a crime empire all over the country feels like that's someone else using Joker's like yeah and he says he's going to clean up cities right yeah. that's his his speech um yeah it, it doesn't feel very Joker and like I said I don't know if it's an imposter if it's supposed to be like a three Joker sort of sequel. I don't know quite what's going on there. Uh, right now, I'm leaning towards some other criminal using the Joker's likeness to, you know, <laughs> like yeah. take over. Uh, and maybe thought he'd get away with killing the Joker, but clearly, you know, Lazarus or whatever has happened. Lazarus just brought him back or something. Yeah, uh, there's always Lazarus juice. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know, but um. Yeah, I just I wasn't yeah I wasn't really feeling it all that much either. So so much so that uh, even though it was Frank Avila on the art, I got to the backup and went, you know what? I don't even want to. <laughs> I, I did the same. I was like, I do like Frank Avila. I flicked through it just to to glance at the Frank Avila art because mm. always gorgeous. I I did see the uh, the ape, uh, the gorilla in like the Superman thing with the Shakespeare <clears> collar <throat> with a with a Tommy gun, and I'm like, I kind of want to know what's going on there. <laughs> <laughs> but also not enough to read it like not, not not enough to actually go through it because yeah I, I was not feeling the main book and, and it was just rosenberg again right it was rosenberg again yeah yeah so i was i was not like really excited to yeah i i it's a shame uh because like i've liked some of rosenberg's work i've liked one or two of the minis he's done at marvel as well uh but he does seem to very much depend on what characters he's doing or, uh, or what the concept is, really. This feels like a really weird concept and maybe plays out, but I, I just wasn't necessarily feeling it as I was reading it. I was kind of like, this was the one, this was the book I read out of all the new books I read this week, which was a bit of a chore. And I wasn't super into Deadly Green either, but I was like, this felt a bit, a bit of a chore to get through this one, honestly. Yeah, for me, with time, it came down to this or... Gotham City Year One, and obviously my track record with Tom King lately has been not so hot. So I thought I'll give the, the this one a shot instead, thinking maybe the you know maybe I've got more of a chance of enjoying it. Mm. You know, ultimately I I I don't know if that's true because I probably would have enjoyed at least the Phil Hester art more than Domenico on this particular book. I, th- I think you would have yeah enjoyed the art more. Yeah, um, and again. I, we do usually like G. Domenico, just not the not necessarily the right script for him here in this issue. No. So there you go. Uh, what are you giving Joker, the man who stopped laughing issue one? We have four, which sounds really harsh, but I just I think it's a below average book. Yeah, it's, a, it's a maybe a bit hard. I'll, I'll I'll give it a a five. Like there's there's moments in here that I thought were amusing or little ideas or whatever, but. Just a bit of a chore overall, and I just I had no interest of reading more. Yeah, even, even the it's, backup it's not, I didn't want to read. Never mind the next it's not issue. Terrible, but I'm not sure how many people are going to love this book. That's fair. Uh, all right. Uh, we'll go to some Patreon books every month at Patreon.com/slash/MailFuzzTV. You can make myself a Connor read a book. Now Connor has been gone for a little bit, so he's got some catching up to do. So he's got three books here he's going to talk about. Uh, he's skipping ahead on one of them. The first one he's going to talk about here is Tim Drake Robin issue one, uh, because it's new and it means he can because he, he didn't want to do like two Harley Quinn issues in one week because they just sort of blur together and it wouldn't be a, a fair 
review. But uh, you can you can skip ahead and do the Tim Drake issue quite happily. Uh, so yeah, Tim Drake, Robin issue one, take it away. Yeah, um, it's uh, Megan Fitzmartin, right? Who did the Tim Drake stuff? And non Urban Legends, yeah. Yeah, I think maybe even some stuff in Future State as well, going back mm. that far. I think she's kind of been dabbling with Tim for a while now. And of course your favourite artist. Uh, yes, the reason why I am being forced to <laughs> read this. Because I, I was really excited at first when I, when I heard I was getting a, a Tim Drake book. Because, you know, as people know, Tim Drake's my favourite Robin. And then they uh, they threw Rosmo on out. <laughs> I'm not a joke uh, to stop laughing right now, I'll tell you that one. <laughs> you know, the first two pages, I didn't recognize Tim. Oh, really? Oh. I, I did not realize it was Tim. It, it, uh, uh, he's obviously in his civvies. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying Rosmo's bad enough that I wouldn't recognize Tim in his Robin outfit, because, you know, Rosmo may have some stylistic choices I don't agree with, but at least, he, you know, characters are usually recognizable in their outfits. But um, yeah, I, I just thought there was like it's it's Tim walking around, uh, you know, the, the harbor in Gotham. You know, he's walking around some old boats and doing some stuff. And but it's you know at night, it's just this this guy walking around the docks. And I was like, okay, what's what's going on here? And there's narration over the top of it. A lot of narration, actually. Probably too many narration boxes to, to critique the writing here. Uh, it wasn't until the bottom of the second page where. Bernard showed up, you know, the uh, the boyfriend character that it kind of introduced in that Urban Legend stuff, I think it was. Is that how you press Bernard? Uh, I've known people that go by Bernard, yeah. I've never heard that before. Did you never watch uh, Bernard's Watch? I have never heard of this. Uh, it's a British kids TV show with a kid called Bernard who has a stopwatch that stops time. Sounds like a little wanker. Continue. Yeah, it was. Yeah, basically. Um, but until he showed up inside interacting with Tim, I was like, oh, that's Tim. Because uh, at first I thought it was just some, some guy being suspicious, wandering around the docks, and I thought the narration was going to be about what was going on. But, but no, uh, it was Tim, and I, I just didn't recognize him, which was not the best start for the book. Let's Let's put it that way. Uh, but the the premise of the book is Tim's kind of he's he's bought a shitty little rundown boat to live on. Um, it's a tiny little boat that you know there's there's a couple of pages that have some really interesting panel layouts that I like in premise. I don't think it comes off entirely well, um, but I like the idea of it from Rosmo here. I'll give him that. Where it's kind of like a a cross section of the boat. And you see, like, you know, from the side, and you see, you know, some of it like underwater as well. And you see, kind of, you know, it, it's cut away, and you see the inside, the layout of how it's set up to be Tim's home. With the, you know, it goes downstairs, and you see all the stuff. So like that parts of it are under the water, as as a boat would be. Um, uh, it's a nice idea, and it's it's mostly just setting up where Tim's life is right now for the first half of the book. Kind of this, okay, he's living on this boat. Uh, we're setting up all his neighbors who also live on boats in this little dock. As you do. Uh, and they're a, a strange collection of characters. Uh, I'm not even going to get into them all because I don't think it, it ultimately doesn't matter that much. They're, they're just, there's, there's a two page, no, you don't have a two page. There's just like a, 
a big panel kind of going through a bunch of them. There's, you know, like the only one I can remember was called Tuna because it was called Tuna. So that was slightly memorable. Big Tuna. Uh, yeah, that was my first thought as well. Um, the only other two slightly memorable ones are the, these two women who, I, I couldn't tell you their names, um, but they become, they're, they're the first ones that are introduced to, uh, they get a full like scene interacting with Tim, whereas the others just get like a, you know, this is just who they are, little narration boxes. Um, and also those are the two that end up murdered slightly later in the issue. So that's that's why they're slightly more memorable, because they are the plot. Uh, they they seem, one of them's decapitated, one of them's like stuffed in a, like, a, like an oil barrel drum sort of thing. Uh, basically, it turns out that there's this plot where Tim's got some detective that he calls in that he knows. Again, I think a lot of this is harkening back to some of this urban legend stuff, maybe, that I obviously didn't read mm. uh, much of. I read the first one, I think. But I'm assuming that's what all this is, because it references a lot of things that I think is not the not the best start for a, for a book. I think in issue one, I think there's a lot of stuff here that it references in that Urban Legends, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I may very well be, there was not a collected one-shot of all the Urban Legends stuff published alongside this, you know, in the same way that the Asriel one had the the three parts kind of of that Urban Legends collection. Actually, I think they did it already. Like, I'm pretty sure before the Azrael one, there was already a Tim Drake one that was reprinting. It was like the three parts to the story plus like one extra bonus story was a one shot. Okay. Was that quite a while, a few months before this then? Oh, it was a while ago, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the mistake. I think they should have saved it and done it if not like the same week as, but at least at most a month before, maybe even just a week before, because the Azrael one they were on the same day, and it was really easy to go. Hey, you want to pick both of these up? I think they may have done it for Pride Month. I want to say Pride Month was June. I want to say that was June. Yeah, or July. That, may, that, may, that sounds like it may have been maybe right. Yeah, uh, I think that's that's just a, a a weird combination of. A mistake on DC's part. If they knew this book was coming, I think they should have saved it and done that better. And then a critique of Fitzmaine's right in here, and that I don't think it's that accessible. I think there's a lot of referencing back to this other stuff that feels essential to have read, and I feel I felt a little bit alienated having not read it. Um, mm. And I think that's that's kind of a mistake in any issue one. Uh, I think really. Um. Because at least with that Azra one, you could kind of treat it as a zero issue, and like, yeah, you know, I think maybe they should have named it as a zero issue. But um, this here, it felt missing because there's so this case that's happening, this is murder. Uh, he he's looking at all the pieces, and he he puts together that it's it's um, it's actually a recreation of a one of the earliest detective stories by uh, Edgar Allan Poe. And then he talks about how he dealt with one of these already, someone recreating, I think it was a Sherlock Holmes story. Um, and, and it was, I think that was in the Urban Legend stuff or the Pride special. If that was separate, I'm not sure. Um, and he talks about, oh yeah, I, I did this. I, I know what's going on here. And he just kind of goes off and, solves it kind of quickly because he knows exactly what he's looking for and it, I, I kind of fell a bit out of the loop here 
by a jumping in, you know, in the first issue, jumping into this this thing that was already established in something that I don't think everyone will have read. Uh, you know, may, maybe that'll be included in the trade for this long term. Uh, I think it probably should be. But for anyone who maybe just saw, hey, there's a new issue one on Comixology this week. I like Tim Drake. Uh, yeah, I think this is a, a real problem because it, it felt like there was a lot of a lot of context missing. Um, I think it kind of it worked okay with the the Bernard stuff, you know, kind of establishing that relationship because the, the the early part of this is him going, well, I, do, do I call him boyfriend? You know, where, is that where we are? Like, so there was there was enough there that it kind of felt okay. But it talked about you. Know, uh, it, it mentioned Tim having an injury recently. Um. Uh, but it didn't give any context. There wasn't even an editor's note for that as to where to find information on that. Hmm. Uh, which I thought was weird because I'm like, I don't actually know what exactly that's referring to. Um, it's so it's, I, again, it's difficult because things. it's difficult because they're, they're, they're doing this spinning out of something they've already done. And it's a bit ballsy to put an issue one out. And obviously you could rewrite it to like but serve more for new people as well, which is maybe what you're supposed to do in the first place. But I can also see it being really off-putting if you open the first page of an issue one and it says, this is a follow-up to this uh, series of stories that you can go buy as well. I mean, but the thing <laughs> is, those editor's notes are in there. There is one that references the Pride special. There's one that okay. references... Okay. Oh, here's... You know, it was in Urban Legends 4 to 6. So they're in there anyway. And again, I'm not saying have none of these things. I'm not saying don't set this as a spin-off to that book. I just think it could have been written more accessibly and it could have felt a bit more natural and inviting to newcomers. Um, but the ending is, you know, Tim solved that crime, kind of. Like, he doesn't catch the guy who does it, but he, he you know, the, the, the there's a, like a big gorilla, orangutan, I think it is, with a, you know, the, this disc and he knows, you know, this is why he knows what to fix because, you know, this happened before with uh, an elephant, I think it was, in the other one, where he has to smash this disc and then finish the story in some way. Uh, so, you know, that's what he does and it, it resolves really quickly, but he doesn't catch the, the person who's behind it. Uh, and at the very end, it's he's back in his, his boat home and there's a package on his table with a a little note saying, you know, clever work today until next time, Gumshoe. You know, presumably from whoever is behind it. So it, it's setting up its mystery there. And I think that stuff, like, it's... It's starting to, to work nicely in, in terms of where it's going. I just think it really introduces it in a clunky way for newcomers. And that is that is my biggest problem with this book on a writing stance. Uh, Art-wise, yeah, yeah, it's Rosmo. I, I just dislike it vehemently uh it is not to my tastes i don't think he has any particularly bad layouts in this issue i was once or twice i thought there was some poor lettering choices in terms of where narration boxes were and was following the flow uh, and i was reading them in the wrong order um i don't know how much of that is the art not leading me nicely or just poor placement from the letterer uh so i'm not sure who to blame for those specifically I know there was at least one instance where uh, Rosmo's art did have to be connected in a series like pop-up circles. It was connected with lines and they had to actually number them like one through five to make sure you read them in the right order, which <laughs> is always a concerning sign for me because if you have to number it to make sure I read it in the right way, 
even when they're connected with lines going through, you're clearly not confident people are going to read them right. And that's maybe a telling sign something's wrong for me. But uh, it's it's not Rosmo's most offensive work in terms of the, the stuff that I can usually complain about is like a more objective things. I just stylistically still really don't like it. But, you know, I, for Rosmo's fans, I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> but, yeah, I can't say I'm particularly fond of his big fat head characters either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big not chins. Even, not even just fat heads, it's more like lopsided. It's like they've got... They're such strangely shaped, aren't they? But, yeah, it's uh, it's not the worst book, but also I think it is damn near essential you have read the previous um stuff. Otherwise, you are missing a lot, and it feels weird. Uh, I'll probably give it a four overall. Oh, well. Uh, well, you're not done yet, because you got a couple of Harley Quinn to catch up on as well. Uh, also from David, who's torturing <sighs> you with that. Uh, yeah. So this is still a Rosmo issue, I think? Harley Quinn yeah. 16? Yeah. <laughs> More Rosmo. Yeah, two Rosmo issues this yeah, and I've read them back to back because I forgot to save things to put in between them. It was yeah. I think that's not on nice. you. I think that <laughs> kind of is on me. Yeah, I didn't really plan my books in a, in advance. I was just trying to get through them, and I went, "Oh shit!" Now I've got two Rosmos. <laughs> that was not a fun half hour. Let me tell you. <laughs> You're like, I must have been in the hospital last week. Can I go back to the hospital, please? <laughs> It was a more enjoyable experience all around, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, Harley Quinn, 16. Uh, obviously, Philip's not. This is a... Uh, like two-thirds of this is a flashback origin story for Sam, whose villain's name I'm completely forgetting. It was like... Guilty something? Final... Uh, I don't know. I, I don't remember the villain's name. I, I know her name is Sam. I just don't remember a secret identity. Because uh, I don't think it even says it at any point, really, in this issue. If it does, I, I'm just missing over it. Because she's not in costume uh, for this issue, to be fair. Um, the, the flashback is basically... Uh, it's in Harley's younger days, back when she was still, you know, evil. You know, back in the Jester outfit. Um, and it was Sam as a cop... Harley's been arrested, and they they've got a transfer duty, uh, taking her to Arkham, and unsurprisingly, on the way, Harley breaks free and crashes the the van, and it kills uh, Sam's partner when in in the crash. And she's very suspicious. She's like, "Hey, she she was checked. She was clean. You know, she was in handcuffs. How did she possibly get out?" And he's kind of putting it together that. Um, you know, something's not right here. And then she overhears, you know, one of her bosses kind of talking, being like, yeah, let, you know, we're, we're sticking to the story. She had a, she got a bit of a concussion, so we're kind of playing it off with her. So there's no need to, to go any further. But basically, you know, overhears that, yeah, it was, it was a payoff. The jo the Joker paid them off to, to get Harley out, basically, before she got to Arkham, while it was easier to escape. And um, Sam, in, in hospital, Kind of, you know, goes to you know the the other guy who was in the van who survived, but was uh, you know 
basically gets double the payout now because not everyone did uh, and goes and just chokes him in the hospital and that's uh, her, her villain origin uh, and why she hates Harley so much because Harley inadvertently killed her partner or, you know, indirectly by causing the crash uh, and that, you know, and she's like, oh no, she's a murderer and now she's here and all free and yeah, whatever it's uh, I, I don't care about any of this stuff I don't think she's been a particularly good villain I didn't think she, you know, I didn't think the reveal was that good. It was kind of really obvious who she was the whole time. I don't think this is a particularly unique origin. It's, um, it's fine. Uh, surrounded by a lot of really rough Rosmo art. And, you know, I, I say it's two thirds out. The other third is just kind of some present day scenes of Sam and uh, Kevin kind of talking and, going through this, you know, because she's telling the story to Kevin to try and explain things, and Kevin's like, you know, I still think we're going to have to go to the police and, and turn you in, and Sam's calling him a hypocrite because he used to work for the Joker, and you know, and now, yeah, sure, he's reformed now, but you know, he was actively on board with Joker's evil shit, whereas Sam has at least always been against that, uh, and then Harley just shows up, and, and the final page is uh, Sam seemingly shooting Harley. Um, and by that, I mean it shows her pulling out a gun and shooting it uh, in Harley's direction, but we don't actually see anything. I, I'm assuming for dramatic irony's sake that she shot Kevin by mistake because she does seemingly actually care for Kevin. Uh, so that will be the obvious twist, uh, not even twist, but the obvious resolution to this is that Kevin got in the way of the bullet and Sam will feel guilty that now she's responsible for killing someone she cares about. And, yeah, yeah I can already see where that's going. But, yeah, it, it's uh, it's not a good issue again. Uh, Rosmo has a lot of really slanted panels. I don't know what it is about Rosmo, especially in this Harley book. I, I don't know if he thinks it makes it feel a little bit kooky. Kind of just gives it that off-kilter feeling to, to make it feel like a Harley book. But instead of just straight boxes... There's just a lot of tilted angles, and they don't have they don't serve any effect. They just make it slightly more uncomfortable to read. Um, it's really irritating. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad I've only got to get through one more of these. I think or two. <laughs> uh, not not that many, but I'll we'll, we'll give it probably a three point five. Oh well. <clears throat> Well, I'll go to my Patreon book that I'm doing this week then. Uh, this is Animal Man issue 24. Uh, and it's all popping off. Uh, you know, it's been getting more and more meta. In fact, once again, this issue begins with, you know, there's, there's like panels of a, of a keyboard, you know, a computer keyboard. And mm. the, the, the text kind of like describes what Psycho Pirate's feeling and then it goes into it. Um... Animal Man showed up at the end with the alien last time, just as Ultraman and Overman and everything else that was going on in Arkham was was kicking off. Um, the best way I can kind of describe this is that there's a bit of a debate about what reality is, and that they're being just written by people from another universe, or potentially they're still got free will, but there's people from another universe watching in some way. Uh, they even refer to readers as gods at one point, if that's what they are. Or the very least, obviously, the creators are gods. Uh, but Overman's got the Purification Day 
uh, bomb that he wants to set off and destroy everything. Uh, so there's a bit, a bit of a fit. Ultraman's trying to stop him. Where this gets really interesting and wacky um, is Animal Man chooses to jump into the white light. The white light being kind of the gateway to outside the comic panels. And when he starts to sort of interact with Overman, who's kind of the villain of the issue, he taps him on the shoulder from outside the panel, uh, which is a really sort of cookie effect because it's kind of, you know, he's like Overman's arm ends at the edge of the panel like he's inside the panel like normal. And it wouldn't be weird if it didn't because, you know, comic panels often will have people sticking out of panels as part of just, you know, art- artsy, you know, fun, <laughs> effectively. Uh, so it's a usual technique. But what makes this really weird is that his arm is cut off by the end of the panel, but it overlaps Animal Man's arm, which is coming in from outside the panel, which I think has been deliberately done to make it really like stick out and point out what they're doing here that makes it feel like Animal Man's coming in from outside the comic panel. So it's a very deliberate choice. I think even not only just to have both things there and not have them sticking out of the panel like sometimes you do in comics, but to actually have it overlap the arm of Animal Man that's coming in from outside the panel. But you see Animal Man like that through this page, like sort of like he's kind of like walking past the panels in the white in the background. It kind of you know. So that that's where it gets really fun and it starts to really play with things. Uh, at one point, he's like leaning on top of the panel on the next page, looking down at what's going on. Um. And then Overman pulls him down and tries to pull him into the panel. Uh, and as this is all happening, Psycho Pirate's fading away. Some of the other characters are turning white. And ultimately, like, all these characters go away by the end of the issue. Or most of them do anyway. And it kind of feels like this is tying into like Animal Man getting over the death of his family. Because it's kind of this ultimate sentiment of, yeah, it's really sad that these characters are going away because of crisis erasing them. But those books that we're in will always exist. You'll always have the memories. And every time someone reads one of those books, they'll live again. It kind of feels like Grant Morrison saying goodbye to a lot of weird characters that he liked that got erased. <clears throat> so that's the meta side to the story, but also how it ties into the themes of what Animal Man's going through uh, with his wife and kids being dead. So, like, it's a really interesting, wacky concept that does have a little bit of dramatic weight to it. But there's some great panels of Animal Man pulling... Overman out of the panel into the white and then there's a couple of pages where they're in the white and what's really interesting is that there's like a sort of ghostly extra figure in the white seemingly helping Animal Man by pulling on Overman and things like that um but it's really good uh then ultimately he beats Overman by putting him in a comic panel that closes like it keeps getting smaller and Overman's like trapped inside it and then it just sort of closes shut and becomes like nothing um just as, like, everything else seems to be going away. And then ultimately, Dr. Highwater, who's the one who started noticing these things, it puts on the Psycho Pirate mask, and is kind of the one who's there to keep an eye on it. Because the, the mask is now this conduit to the real world and creation and all the different universes and all that stuff. Um, so he's like the new Psycho Pirate by the end of this. Uh, or at least wearing the mask. Um... But there's even a sort of joke to the bomb going off where it's counting down and the aliens think, oh, maybe it is actually going to go off. Maybe we can't stop it. And Animal Man just walks up and turns it off. He, just, he literally just switches the off button. Uh, or the on button off. You know what I mean? You know what I was getting at. Uh, so, really wild. But like, there's actually kind of the sadness is like Psycho Pirate's like, still kind of there like a ghost almost and he's fading away. And he basically just says, oh, it was nice, wasn't it, to see all those old characters again just one last time. Uh, just like I'd remembered them. And it's just kind of this, you know, it really felt like it was going into the 
the idea of comparing these characters and the, the loss of characters through co- continuity. Because at one point, one of them even yells out, oh, we're, we're, we're still in continuity, <laughs> or something like that. Like, these words are actually being inserted into the plot. Um, uh, so it's actually kind of sad when Psycho Pirate goes away, even though he's not necessarily, like, a likable character. There's kind of a tragedy to him here uh, that feels like it means something. You really feel like Grant Morrison is, like, coping through their sense of loss at what's been what's been written out of the the, the universe because of crisis so uh little uh, would they know that uh, over the next 30 years we'd be going back and forth and doing this over and over again and bringing things back and putting things back out of continuity again and, and so on and so on uh but yeah so now high waters wearing the sacred pirate mask he's in arkham and uh Animal Man's still asking aliens, like, w- w- why was I at the center of all this? What what was important about me getting involved with all this? Uh, and they just sort of say some cryptic things. Uh, they repeat what Psycho Pirate said about, uh, these are actors, are, uh, as I foretold, uh, you were all spirits are and are melted into air. You know, just kind of like these weird, vague statements about these characters being characters and being like temporary beings of some kind uh which in a way can then translate to life because we're all temporary in some way um but they disappear shut up you literally were like nearly dying last week that's irrelevant but i didn't (laughs) well we can all have our fingers crossed for next time yeah yeah i know (laughs) yeah uh, doorbell goes though uh, and when he opens the door, it's it's like Earth has changed, and it's like he's in a different dimension or something. There's like, uh, you know, fog and like uh, ancient, like, you know, rocks and monoliths and stuff or something. It says next monkey puzzles, so I don't know if he's in the monkey kingdom where like monkey prince is from. I don't know if that's a thing DC had access to at the time, uh, or if that's just what it made me think of. But I think that's just you connecting modern things yes yeah, so just because I've, I've been seeing him recently and and news stories and stuff uh yeah, yeah. so I, I don't know where he's went here at the end but he's been transported somewhere else um but yeah so but yeah there's like sort of like narration at the end saying uh or not even narration it's like a voice that buddy's hearing saying buddy time to go now time to put all those world all these worldly things aside time for the last adventure so it feels like it's very much going into the last arc of the of the run which i think makes sense because this is going to issue 25 next and i think it was like 29 or 30 issues something like that sounds about right yeah. yeah uh so curious to see how this wraps up curious to see if buddy gets some kind of happy ending it because it's been a really dark book this last you know it's been mixing it with some wacky like meta stuff but it's been a very dark ever since the the, the family died it's been a very dark book and some of that stuff's been my favorite of the whole run uh the meta stuff is very interesting, and obviously I think some people really go nuts for it and love that Grant Morrison does this stuff. I I am intrigued by it. I, I, I've enjoyed sort of like trying to look at it and sort of try and sort of understand what it's saying about the characters in the story, but also kind of the meta, like, reason for it. Um, but at the same time, I do think it's maybe a touch gimmicky as well, you know? I can see why you'd think that. I think you still haven't got to the... Obviously, it's still building. Yeah, yeah. You, haven't got, you haven't got to the peak of it yet. And I think when that hits, it kind of really comes together in a way that 
makes it incredibly satisfying. Okay. okay. Which makes you look back on it more with, you know, so when people are talking about it, they're talking about it mostly with the knowledge of where it goes and where it peaks. And can it, you know, as a whole, makes it probably more exciting than the individual kind of moments of it yeah. do right now. I mean, I, I'm definitely like open to, to whatever this ending is going to be with it. And I, I have enjoyed a lot of the moments. Uh, but sometimes it does kind of feel like we're doing the wacky meta stuff because we want to do wacky meta stuff. Uh, it does sometimes feel like this issue, like comparing it to like what he's going through with the death of his uh, family to the, the characters disappearing. I'm like, okay, I can kind of see like the, how this like ties together and there's uh, a, a clear reason. So I, I do hope that it does kind of all click and when the final point to why we've been doing all this kind of sinks in. And Grant Morrison often does pull those things off. Not always for me, but usually does. So yeah. I'm intrigued to see where that goes, but uh, uh, yeah, pro- probably about an 8 out of 10 for me, this issue. Um, very good. So some of the fighting with Overman and Ultraman just felt like it was taking up a few pages to, to kill time with some action, <laughs> more than anything. Uh, but, you know. May have been an editorial kind of demand to have, yeah. you know, we, we, need, we need more action. Which, don't get me wrong, there is a line from, I think, Psycho Pirate who says, you're only fighting because that's what they want of you, right? It's almost like critiquing... It's almost like Grant Morrison's put in like a meta little wink-wink. I was told to put an action scene in here, so I'm going to have the character reference that there has to be an action scene when there's no real reason for you two to fight. Like, so there's... Yeah, there's like... They maybe did something interesting with it, so fair fair play. But at the same time, like I still had to go through the few pages of them punching and whatnot, so... Yeah. Uh, but yeah but still, still pretty good though still, still a good issue um, alright so you have one last Patreon book you're going to talk about uh, Noctera issue 10 take it away yeah it's uh, another really solid issue of this book uh, I think this is a book that suffers slightly monthly I don't think it's only it's at it's best reading monthly I think it probably reads amazingly well in trade because it's very each, each issue reads really quick um, and that, that can be a good thing in, in that, you know, you, you, it doesn't feel like it drags, you, you, you're always enjoying it, but it always, it, it leaves you wanting more and you feel like you could probably do with a few extra pages of every issue, which I imagine in trade won't feel like a problem. Uh, but this one, it starts with a little dream sequence that, that kind of turns into a nightmare. It, it's, uh, Piper and... Kind of, it's everyone in in the cell, and everything's all good. And then you know they they all turn into the like shade like monsters, and it it's pretty horrific. Uh, but the the main bulk of the issue is they've reached Luna, which is the base where they you know the the people who build used to work for where they are, and uh, it's it's there where they turn people into like Bill, you know, where they put all the the black stuff on them, you know, and permanently bond them with the the nano tech, whatever it is. Um, and kind of make them into the the shadow kind of uh, people that they are. Uh, and it is mostly just kind of a, an assault on this base and kind of sneaking how they're going to get in there using Bill as bait, kind of, you know, because he's obviously got a history with them, which is not good right now uh, because he, you know, kind of, you know, killed a few of them and, and maybe kind of uh, burned some bridges. Um but they still manage to use him to get in. There's a, there's a lot of showdown on the inside. You know, uh, you you've got them telling you know some of the, the younger ones like Piper to to hang back. You know, stay outside. We're going to get you the coordinates for EOS, which is the 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 bigger base. So so Luna's this one where they kind of create the people like Bill, 
and EOS is the one which is supposedly got like you know the sun power stuff. It's like the the, the main one that they really want to to fix the world. It's where everything has all gone down. Um, so they're like, hey, yeah, we're gonna get you the coordinates, and you know at least you've got a record of it. But you know, Piper you know, has to come inside and help anyway, and just you know sneaks their way in because uh, that's that's what they do. Uh, but the the final point of the issue is they kind of pull the power. Um, they, you know, by they use the, the this device, uh, you know, that they set up already, and they're like, yeah, that that's that's not going to be great. It's going to probably turn off the kind of pseudo artificial sun that they've got going uh, at the back of this place, and all the the megas, which are like you know the the giant shades and stuff that they've got, like all these horrific sea monsters that's surrounding this base. The the sunlight was kind of the only thing keeping them at bay. And uh, now the, the light's gone, and we you your final page is them all coming up out of the water. It's all like the you know whale like images, but like kind of twisted and horrific, uh, and just being like, okay, well that's it now. Shit's hit the fan. How how are they going to get out of this? And uh, that I mean, the next issue is the final issue of the arc, and that makes sense. Uh, I am very interested to see how they get out of this this kind of this base that's. Kind of in the in the ocean. Uh, there's a long bridge over to it, but it's it's definitively built in the water. Uh, this base, um, so they are surrounded by all these monsters. They couldn't bring their trucks over because there's only one bridge in and out. So they haven't got like an easy escape route to get out of. Uh, I I would suspect a really strong action issue uh, next to follow up on that. And in some ways, this issue suffers slightly by being the one before the end, where it is kind of like, okay, we're kind of setting you up for that final confrontation, not of the book, but of, of the arc. And uh, it definitely has that feeling to it of like, oh, we, we're just kind of preparing for the real issue next time. Uh, but it is still very enjoyable. Uh, Bill's becoming an even more kind of compelling character. He's, you know, the, the first arc, he was just the straight up villain chasing them. Now we had that, that one shot on this arc, kind of giving him some depth, some actual backstory and now seeing him kind of face to face with his past and and seeing kind of the consequences of that uh is kind of pretty fun to watch uh yeah it's still a really good issue probably a pretty bit of seven out of ten i think it's lacking slightly in just a, in not being quite enough of a, of a full meal but still very good okay well there you go uh, that'll take us out the part of the show where we pick our favourite stuff of the week for it, panel slash more and favourite cover, favourite art and top five books uh, or however many Connor read <laughs> what, what, what is your moment slash panel of the week? Um, it's it's obviously from Batman which isn't surprising I don't think because it's like the, the main book I read mm-hmm. uh, but I'm actually just going to go with that very first panel of of the uh, of Superman I just say uh, I mentioned before we were talking about that book that I really like the way that uh, Jimenez drew kind of that slightly older-looking Superman. Uh, yeah, I just really like that that image of it. Hmm. Um, I think for me, um, it's pro. There's a couple of things I could maybe put in Dark Races. Batman's got a couple of good moments. Uh, I think I have to go with the page in Gotham Year One, though, which is. Uh, probably it's it's like it's kind of a twofer because it's one page and like a half of it is like these panels of him in his office answering the phone call which are just red and black, 
but then the other bit at the top is like this more kind of like almost the uh, water painted i don't think actually it is water paints but like in terms of the color palette it looks more water painted it's like this sort of bright white of him like walking in the night street in the rain uh yeah which is right after he's leaving the wanes which is also a great full page spread of him walking in the rain uh but i think the the contrast of the 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 red indoor scenes and the the panels at the side with the the rest of the page is really really nice so i'm really gonna pick that just in terms of this this is a mood one this is one that's just the mood but so strong that i'm picking it uh cover of the week uh there's a few interesting ones to pick actually uh the regular batman one's pretty good uh there's a Matina variant of uh, Failsafe, which I wouldn't pick this particular one because it's the design Fine. of Failsafe's whatever, but it's obviously really high quality work, like is what I'm pointing out. Uh, there's also a couple of decent covers for, uh, obviously Gotham, City Year One's main cover's great, uh, with Hester, Phil Paul. There's also a great variant by Ryan Sook, which is Slam Bradley arriving at the front of the Wayne Manor. My pick for the week, though, is a, another Batman variant. Uh, it's the Ryan Sook Batman variant, which is Batman, uh, just, you know, kind of typical Batman shot where he's up in like a gargoyle or whatever, and there's like bats flying by and like there's the uh, the red moon behind him. Just really nice colour palette. Uh, really nice. What's your pick? Yeah, for me, the only two in contention were the regular Batman cover and the, the Sook Batman variant that you just talked about. And I'm probably going to go with the Sook variant. Um, uh, there are some nice covers. I think the uh, the main uh, deadly green cover is kind of nice. The uh, the main <clears throat> uh, Gotham Year One is nice, but those two Batman covers are the only ones that really stood out to me uh, as being uh, a cut above. Yes, yeah, fair. Uh, all right, what was your art of the week? Uh, Batman with with him and us. Yeah. Uh, if it wasn't for Gotham, I, I mean, I picked that too, so I'll, I'm picking Phil Hester on Gotham City, you're one. Hester's a great choice. Yeah. Always turns in great work. All right, rank your books. Uh, so Batman, and then Joker. I think that was kind of all the new ones. <laughs> that that was right. the new ones I, I mean, if we're, counting, if we're counting Robin as well, though, because I mean, that's kind of newish. That's number that two. Would actually, I, don't, I don't actually know. All right, okay. I, it would be kind of on par with Joker, like, for different reasons, I thought they were both. I think I read on both fours. I probably would put Robin as third, but it's not not as obvious as it would have been like if on paper, as if you told me, you know, oh, the the, the Rosmo book. Okay. Uh, my number one is Gotham City Year One. Number two is I'll go Batman. Then number three, I'll go Dark Crisis. Number four, I'll go Dark Crisis, Deadly Green, and number five, Joker, Man Who Stopped Laughing, uh, which is all the new books I, I read. Uh, but I'll tell you now what's coming out next week from DC Comics. Now, not that we'll be covering them next week, because we won't have a regular episode, we'll have a and a episode. Make sure you go and ask the questions over on Twitter. Uh, but, um, as luck would have it, it turns out that we'd only have four books, so it should actually not be too hard just putting most of them into the following week's episode. Uh, because Wonder Woman 792 is out, but we both dropped, me, both me and Matt dropped that. Uh, we, we have been very down on it. Um, Superman Son of Kal-El issue 16 is out. Batman vs. Robin issue 2 is out. Batman Urban Legends issue 20. Batgirls issue 11. Jurassic League issue 6, which is the final issue of that. And then you got Dark Faces, Worlds Without a Justice League, Green Arrow issue 1, Future State, Gotham 18, 
Batman Incorporated issue one. I mean, Matt might want to read that, but like I'm, like you know, <laughs> I have no interest in it. Uh, the Flash, Fastest Man Alive issue two, DC's Terrors through Time issue one, which is their annual, you know, anthology horror book for October, and then they got Batman and Scooby Doo Mysteries issue one. Uh, so unless Matt was determined to read Incorporated, there's only four books there that we would have been talking about anyway. So that's which, actually worked out kind of I'm really intrigued as to which of the four, because there's three there that I'm like, I don't know which of the ones is that you're not reading. Is it the 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 Dark Crisis one shot? The, the Green Yeah, yeah, one? I've not read any of those since the first couple. Okay, right. Uh, I, I don't know if it was that or if, if maybe you'd finally given up on Batgirls or if it was... Maybe oh no, Batgirls is great. I, I've been enjoying Batgirls more than I did the first arc since uh, it moved on. Oh, interesting. Uh, and I'm, I'm digging Batgirls. Uh, but, yeah. So, I mean, I think me and Matt will we'll probably talk between ourselves about which ones we'll, we'll try and squeeze into the following episode. Uh, but, the, if the, depending on how busy the following, because we might even just get all four of them on. But, uh, you know. But next week, no regular episode, but you'll get a Q&A episode instead. So, uh yeah look look forward to the return of the regular episodes a week after but uh that is the plan uh for the next couple of weeks uh but uh that's the way i'm going to be disappointed next week thinking they're they're, they're getting it which is why i'd said at the start of the episode and the end so if you, if you make sure if you go straight to the timestamps for the comment reviews right at the start without listening to the intro it's on you <laughs> there's nothing i can do about that <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some people who do that. There probably is, but there's nothing I can do about that. But no doubt there'll be a tweet next week. Uh, where's uh, where's where's College of the Multiverse this week? Like, like it's the first episode, first week without an episode, a regular episode. Not counting the quarantine, but that doesn't count because there's no books. Uh, yeah, that, that wasn't really our fault. Since we started the show in May 2016. <laughs> so good, yeah. good run, good run. <laughs> so anyway, good effort. Uh, but yes, so that's the plan for the next couple of weeks. Uh, of course, thank you to our patrons. Thank you to everyone who enjoys the show. You can support us over at patreon.com slash TV for, uh, for however much you like per month. But at the $5 tier, you get early access to the show uh, the, late on the Saturday when it's ready. And of course, uh, it's public on the Sunday for everyone else. So if that's of interest to you, go and have a look. But you can support us at any amount. And you can, of course... Uh, Supporters by liking, sharing, subscribing, and uh, sharing us out on the Twitters and things like that, or, or Reddit. I sometimes see people sharing us on Reddit. Uh, all those things are appreciated and help spread the show. So thank you very much uh, for doing so. But that is uh, that is the uh, that is the episode. That is three two six. So uh, thank you once again for watching or listening. We always appreciate it. Keep reading DC Comics, and remember to never get lost in the Speed Force.